This is the movie Hall of Fame for Thursday. Sometime or another. Class of 1999 edition. Yeah. Part Uno. Part Uno. Oh, oh, yeah, that's right. That's entirely right, yeah. I almost forgot. We did a special thing this week. Mm-hmm. Over the next two weeks. This is a two-week podcast event. Two-week endeavor. Here on the Movie Hall of Fame. We are tackling the films of 1999, a storied year in the history of film, mm-hmm. um, one that has had a lot of literature and thought and discussion thrown in its direction. We looked at the list of movies from the year 1999 and realized this is way too deep for just one podcast. <laughs> so you and I put our heads together and you came up with the brilliant idea of splitting this up into two weeks. Correct. Your six movies and my six movies. Yep. And at the end of this whole affair, two movies, count them, two movies mm-hmm. will be inducted into the Movie Hall of Fame. What a what a weird time. This is amazing. Yeah. This is unheard of on it, this podcast. It is unheard of. We are breaking <laughs> format, um, and uh, I think appropriately so, yeah. because a, this I'm, is an incredible list. Yeah. No better time to do it, especially when we actually sat down and looked at it. Literally, the reason I came up with the idea is like, dude, we can't do this. We need we need to split this up. There are too many good movies. Right. Yeah. And also, like, a number of movies worth discussing, which is the which is the other part. Like, I think I could objectively cobble together a list of the six best, mm-hmm. but I don't think that list is, is, like, diverse enough for this podcast. Yeah. And it sells a lot of excellent films short. Um, sure. Specifically in... My list. So I think this is also a really interesting experiment because our six selections speak to our specific tastes in an interesting way. Yeah. Um, this podcast is going to feel very different from next week's podcast because I picked comedies, um, romantic movies, more blockbuster fare, stuff that is not as like dark and edgy <laughs> as some of your favorites. And that is what we're... I mean, there's a... There's a variety, but that's basically the theme of this week's list. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's going to be nice that, at least our hope, is that we hit a bunch of genres and we represent this year in an appropriate way. Yes. It's, it's also important to note with uh, how important this year is to me personally, at least with my list, there are four movies here that are in my favorites. Right. Amongst my favorites, rather. Yeah, probably in like your top 50 or so, right? <laughs> One of them's maybe in my top 10. But Yeah, yeah. It's crazy deep yes this year so um i will reference by the way some excellent work that has been done on this year mm-hmm. um one of the reasons why uh this list is so great is there's so much behind the scenes content and so much interesting literature and criticism written about the movie i would recommend the book best movie year ever that's all uh, its own sentence, like comic book guy on Simpsons. Best movie year ever. How 1999 blew up the big screen. This was released not too long ago. I think it um, it was released like a month ago or so. A month ago, two months ago. Who wrote it? Oh man, let me get the guy's name. I'm trying to pull up. I have the ebook here, and I and I uh, and I'm missing it. I don't know how to get out of the. Oh, here we go. Now, if you had a normal book in front of you, you would just be able to look at the cover. Yeah, I don't. I don't read books anymore, bro. That's too bad. Hold on, I'll pull it up in a second. Brian Rafferty, or Raftery. Raftery. R a f t e r y. Cool. Brian Rafferty. Yeah, I would uh, purchase this book at your local Barnes and Noble, or just uh, 
torrented online. <laughs> <laughs> what did you do, Nico? I bought it like a good supporter of local literature. But you're not a good supporter of local literature. Come on, man. I'm confused. I believe in the power of the written word. Okay. <laughs> That's why we're using the spoken word on this podcast. Exactly right. <laughs> uh, I'll let you know. Gave this book a read over the weekend. Didn't finish it. Got pretty close. Jumped around a bit. Nice brisk weekend read. Enjoyed myself. Learned a lot about the year, and I will be sharing those tidbits as this podcast goes along. All right. So that'll be fun. Okay. Uh, a little bit about the year 1999. Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. Of course, the number one highest grossing movie in the world that year. Also the most disappointing film ever made. Yeah, probably. I'm going with that as the single most disappointing film ever made. Yeah, I think. What do you think? Well, it's certainly the beginning of rabid fandom. Yeah. In like a ugly way. Mm-hmm. Oh, God, know? yeah. Like the fanboys were always around, but I think they were relegated to Star Trek conventions up sure. until 99. And I think like you can directly trace the criticism of the recent Game of Thrones season <laughs> to the reaction that Phantom Menace got. Sure. Where like the fans were like, I am offended that you turned my thing into that sure they yeah. felt like a certain ownership of the material in a way that they hadn't before that's very true you know so even though we didn't exactly share that not at our age we just discovered later on that that movie wasn't any good right which is funny because when we look at the star wars movies now and we have to deal with not really deal with but we just observe the fan backlash we're a little more put off by it right at least in my experience yeah i don't i, mean, I can only speak for myself i guess but I don't feel personally attacked when a movie is bad. No. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. And I feel like a lot of fanboys do. Specifically yeah. with something like Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. It's not only an assault on cinema, it's an assault on like their childhood. And their their preconception about what the material is supposed to look like. Mm-hmm. Which I find kind of troubling, I guess. Me too. Like, I'm sure there were many Star Wars fanboys that walked out of Phantom Menace like, you ruined my childhood. (laughs) Oh, like millions of people were saying that. It's like, no, they didn't ruin your childhood. They just made you waste $13 on a shitty movie. It begins and ends there. Yes, precisely. (laughs) You didn't get any less laid in high school based on how good or bad (laughs) Phantom Menace was. But it feels like they're attributing that, that attitude towards everything. It's as if they're going into movies now, anything that's as big as something like The Phantom Menace, and having that mindset. Like, ready to just rip it to shreds if they have to. Right. Even if the movie doesn't really deserve it. Right. And we've come into contact with that before. Certainly. So. so, an important year in 99 for a number of reasons, not least of which was Phantom Menace. Followed by that on the box office chart, you have The Sixth Sense, mm-hmm. Toy Story 2, The Matrix, and Tarzan. Those are your top five. Um, here's the thing about the Oscars, man. What, 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 what? They get it wrong a lot. And it's especially disappointing when you get it this wrong in a year that is this deep. Yes. American Beauty won Best Picture that year. A movie that hasn't held up for a number of reasons, <laughs> both both filmic and extra filmic. Um, I just don't think this was the right choice. I don't get it. What were the nominees? You have The Cider House Rules. Okay. The Green Mile. Mm. The Insider. Six cents in American Beauty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It is at best the fourth best movie of those nominees. At best. Uh, 
Can I just be honest? Yeah. I don't really like American Beauty. I don't either. <laughs> I don't either. I don't get it. And I think the yeah. more and more, I mean, I guess the first time I saw it, it was like, oh, this looks kind of cool. Uh, no. <laughs> I saw that one and I was like, yeah, this is this is incredibly dated. Yeah. Incredibly dated. This thing's, it, it's attitude, it's aggressions, all that other stuff, the, the references to its own decade. It's just, oh boy, is it tiring. Yeah. I, I, I had a lot of trouble sitting through that one. I just thought it was lame. I agree with you. So. Entirely. And I kind of like Kevin Spacey in that movie. Sort of, kind of. He won Best Actor that year. Yeah. In a not so crowded field. So I guess congratulations to him, the late Kevin Spacey, because <laughs> um, he's dead now for all intents and purposes. <laughs> I don't know, man. I like the plastic bag. I like the floating plastic Do you? bag. Yeah. It's the worst thing That's ever. stuck with me. It's the worst thing ever. Sam Mendes wins Best Director kinda over Spike Jones, Michael Mann, M. Night Shyamalan. Kind of weird. <sighs> Hilary Swank wins Best Actress for Boys Don't Cry. That was a good call. I don't know if you've seen Boys Don't Cry, have you? I don't. I have yeah, she she's terrific in that movie. So that that makes sense. Um, Michael Caine wins Best Supporting Actor for Cider House Rules. Angelina Jolie wins Best Supporting Actress for Girl Interrupted. And then American Beauty wins Best, uh, I guess, Original Screenplay, Cider House Rules, Best Adapted Screenplay. Just a, just a big L for the Oscars in 99. Yeah. Just a big loss. Well, I, the thing is, there's a lot of movies on this list that I don't... I don't know if they necessarily had the same amount of resonance, I mean, then as they do now. There's yeah. a, there are a couple of them on this list that I know is certainly the case. But there are also a lot of movies that, I mean, the ones that really ended up making the impact are the complete opposite of Oscar films. Right. I mean, the polar opposite of Oscar films. This list is very indicative of that. Sure. That is true. There were a lot of genre movies, specifically. Yeah. A lot of sci-fi, a lot of rom-coms, mm. like good rom-coms, though, like next-level rom-coms. So I understand why something like Blair Witch wouldn't get a lot of Oscar attention. Yeah, I get that. I still think, though, there are plenty of movies. The Insider is an example of one. Election is an example of one. Talented Mr. Ripley is an example of one. Like, those are movies that traditionally have done very well at the Oscars. Yeah. You know, they're not so totally outside the box. Which makes it all the more confusing, I guess. Yeah. But these films feel right in line with, like, Green Book or something. Yeah. In a lot of ways. Kinda. Some of them, Yeah, anyway. but even American Beauty, though, is like a movie about a pedophile in a suburb, basically, right? <laughs> Essentially, yeah. Yeah. So it's like, that doesn't necessarily scream. <laughs> pedophile in a suburb. Isn't that what it is? <laughs> yeah. That doesn't scream Academy. I guess not. Kevin Spacey having erotic dreams about a, his fourteen-year-old neighbor. I mean, it's 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 an interesting examination of like the middle-class man at that time, right? I I don't know if it's an honest one though, right? Not totally. I'm just saying, in, based on the material, uh, that doesn't necessarily. But, it's not the English patient. Do you think they were trying to? Re- <laughs> It just, that doesn't seem like a traditional Oscar movie. It just seems like a bad choice. Maybe it's just because this year was so edgy. They were trying to read into it and be a little bit different than anybody else. Like, let's go with the weird one, guys. Well, they they did that. <laughs> let's go with the one that makes no fucking sense. Just not the good one, unfortunately. It's not the worst movie ever. It's it's fine, I guess. We nominated twelve movies that were better. That are way, and we didn't even think about American Beauty. No, no. Like there are five no, to six no. other movies I regret not nominating. Yeah. 
I don't regret not nominating American Beauty. That's a really bad sign. The only thing we that, that that's noteworthy about that movie at all is the iconic image of what's her face in the bed of uh, flowers, right? In the bed of roses. Now the plastic bag has stuck with people. Yeah, I think. sure. Yeah. All, all the flowers. Katy Perry wrote a song about it. She did. Do you ever feel like a plastic bag? Is that what it's about? No, I'm just making that up. Okay. I was going to say, it makes me hate the song even more. <laughs> How dare you hate Firework? I fucking hate Firework. Firework is a jam, bro. Yeah. Come off your high horse. Come off your pop-hating high horse, bro. I-, I will once they stop sucking. Dude, knock it off, dude. Firework is a jam. Okay. That's going to be the next poll question on the website. America can set you straight. <laughs> It's not going to set me straight, man. All right. I got a list of like 33 honorable mentions. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I'm going to read it next week. <laughs> this, uh, How about that? You're fucking crazy. 33. What do you mean you have? Th- like, because I heard I this got 33. Okay. These are 33 honorable mentions from 99. All right. All right. All right. You want me to do it? You want me to save it for next I'm week? Save it. Save it. I don't want to hear this shit. It's going to be like the entire podcast. Just you listing off fucking movies <laughs> that we're not going to talk about. <laughs> And now we're done. We're Oh, we're half an hour in. Shit. <laughs> next week. Okay. All right, we'll do it next week. Um, let's get into it. All right. Movie number one, Toy Story 2. What happened? What? Huh? 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 What'd you just say? What? What, what are you doing? What are you doing? I'm not doing anything. We're doing Toy Story 2. What are you doing? What? What are you fucking doing, bro? You heard me. What the fuck are you doing? You just heard me. What, what? the fuck is going on here? Toy Story This t- aggression will not stand. <laughs> Time the hell out. What are you doing? Sneak attacking me on my own podcast. I like Toy Story too. What are you doing like- walking in here flipping the script on me? I'm trying to make it interesting. Right, we need some background information okay. yeah, for yeah, the yeah, listeners. Yeah, 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 whatever. Explain to the listening public your stupid little controversy you found yourself in this week. Oh, well, I nominated a film called Audition, and then you didn't want to do it because it was sort of a 2000 film. That's sort of. It was. Well, it's officially 1999, though. It's not officially. Who's the official? Everybody. Everybody claims that this is 1999. Who's it? Not Twitter. I'll tell you what. Not those that we polled on Twitter. I don't give a shit about that. I'm yes, just, we do. That's I, it, that, how, many ar- how many articles did you read claiming for it to be a 2000 film? I actually went and did research and everybody's okay. like, okay, yeah, it's 1999. I understand that you are, you are like a plastic bag drifting through the wind all right fortunately i understand you're that type of guy i'm gonna suffocate myself and you are easily (laughs) persuaded by other people's lies i'm with you i on the other hand decided to base my argument on reasoning and fact okay and when i did that i explained to you very (sighs) i thought convincingly that audition was indeed a 2000 movie and not a 1999 movie. It was a first officially screened in 1999, and we talked about this, and that's fine. We did. I, let me just really briefly. Every article, if you go on Wikipedia, Rotten Tomatoes, it says this is a 1999 movie. I went on IMDb, though, and I looked at the release schedule on IMDb. They give you all of the places the movie screened before it debuted in a particular country. Okay. Right. So the movie debuted at the Canadian Film Festival in 1999. One screening. It was shown to one audience one time. Mm -hmm. It didn't get a theatrical release until 2000. Mm -hmm. And to me, that means it's a 2000 movie. Like there are several movies that came out. uh, The movie Big, the, uh, the man who killed Bigfoot and then Hitler. Even that one, though, is sort of officially considered uh, 2018. I just wonder... It was it was introduced to the audience yeah. in the year 
2019. That's what yeah. Hitler and Bigfoot was. That's that's why I dismissed the fact that it was in the festival circuit in 18. But I just look at like when it was finished and, and just let out. It wasn't let out, though. It was, that, it was screened to a minority share that, of the audience. That's what it is, though. You're showing your movie for the first time. I don't know. It, it's it, not it, part of it, dude. That's I just part of the pre-production. No, I think it is. How it's, many times is the movie? It's not like showing dailies. It's not like part of the. Pre- it's not like an early screening or something, so we can go back and fix it or whatever. There are several occasions where a movie screens at a festival. Yeah. A studio purchases the movie and then requests that the writers and directors retool the movie for a more mainstream audience. But that's not what this was. It was just. Well, a- no, but that's. But that is the festival process. The festival process is the. Last step before release. Yes. But that's a part of production. That's not what Takashi Miike was doing. He's just like, all right, here's the first showing of my movie audition. Regardless. I saw saw an interview with him and an an English reporter talking about it as a movie that was released back in 1999. If it was put up for Oscar consideration, it would not have qualified in the year 1999. It would have qualified for 2000. Sure. Now, that seems to be a pretty central authority on when a movie is released and when it's not released. I guess. It's that's also- the whole point of this podcast, is to correct the Oscars. <laughs> that's, li- that's the whole point. That's what we're doing here. I suppose. It would not have qualified for an Oscar. I would have qualified it, though. You don't run the Oscars, bro. That's what you just said. Of course we don't. We're fixing the fucking Oscars. (laughs) Dude, one festival screening. It's like, all right. I finished my movie. I'm a filmmaker. I have it on my laptop. So I show it to you in my dining room. That doesn't not, count as a release, bro. Showing it to a dining no, but that, room of it's a, people. It's a small a, private audience. You're fa- looking to sell the that's movie. A false equivalency. It's not a false equivalency. Sure, it is. A movie becomes it, it. 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 You. You determine its year of release by when it is released, and it's that's seem- why we call it year of release. And it seems like the consensus, even to the director to this day, is still 1999. It, it would stand to reason why it's still 1999, why Takashi Miike has not been like, oh, yeah, like, actually, you should probably change that. It's only been how fucking long? 20 years? <laughs> IMDb defaults to the first screening, though. Whatever the first screening is, that just that's what shows up on IMDb. I'm just, I'm just, so that's why this false information saying, has gotten out I'm just there. saying, when I was reading about it and trying to find the argument for it being 2000, I couldn't do it. Everyone was saying it's 1999. Except for Twitter, which you agreed to. Listen, yes, let's put up a Twitter fine. poll and we'll ask the audience. And I, I put up a, a not like leading question in any way. And they agreed with me. It's a 2000 movie. Sure. And They're by also, the way, you also tried rigging that poll too, which I have not oh, forgotten about. Boo. You cast a vote. You boo. tried rigging the democratic process. The, how many votes were there total? Stuffing, I don't know, like 10? <laughs> <laughs> you stuffed the ballot box though, bro. You stuffed oh, the ballot box. Stu- are we going to get into this again? Do we have to Do we have to talk about our, our, You're our, our corruption? You're a communist. You I'm stu- a communist. You stuffed <laughs> the ballot box, bro. You and have, I, you're the one over here who literally stuffs ballot boxes, motherfucker. <laughs> So, to finish the thought. Yes. Um I just, said you got to get rid of audition. Just answer me this. Answer me this. Yeah. Was a lot of the, this decision to you because you didn't want to watch the no, movie? No, it wasn't. Are you sure? I was a one okay. I am trying to protect the sanctity of this process. I have suffered through many a film for the sanctity of this process, which is nominate movies and whatever the whatever your co-host says goes. 
I sat through three hours of Ron. <laughs> I sat through two hours of Brazil. Yeah. I sat through two hours of Return of the Living Dead. All great movies. For the sanctity of this podcast, I would never violate that. That's good. But you, on the other hand, it, it doesn't seem like it's that important to I you. Guess, I guess not. I'm just that bad, right? So. You should still watch Audition. You said to me, <laughs> you text me, you say, bro, if you can prove, if Twitter says it's a 2000s movie, I will nominate Green Mile in its place. Mm. You texted that to me. But again, that was yet another lie in your long string of corruption. <laughs> it was just a, yet another sin, which is all too common for you. My name is Adam. <laughs> Give me a break. <laughs> so then you say, because I had Green Mile previously in my sixth slot, but I wanted to put another movie in that sixth slot. Mm-hmm. So you didn't do the gentleman thing. You decided to play mind games and say, now nah, I'm putting Iron Giant in that spot instead. Did, is that what I said? Hang on. Iron you Giant. said, I'm putting the Iron Giant in that slot. And I said, really? Are we going to do two animated movies? And you're like, yes. And I realized very quickly, you were trying to fuck around with me. <laughs> we're playing a game of chicken here. <laughs> Who's going to have to take on the responsibility of Green Mile? Because you believe clearly that if you don't nominate Green Mile, I will feel a sacred obligation as the steward of this podcast. I will feel a nominate obligation to nominate it in its place. Yes. And I said, you know what? Fuck you. Two can play at this game, Adam Hall. And I said, Green Mile, out of my list. <laughs> Magnolia is going in its place. And I was like, okay. So apparently the mind games have not ended because just two minutes ago, you dropped this bombshell. We're no longer doing Iron Giant. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. All right. We're doing Toy Story 2. Very well. Very well. Because I like Toy Story 2. I like it more than the Iron Giant. <laughs> I, feel, I feel better about this. You know, I had a whole thing. <laughs> I read too much about the Iron Giant this week. I did way too much fucking research on a movie about a talking robot for you to spring this on me at the last second. And here's the thing. I kind of knew that you were going to do that, too. Oh, I hate you so much. <laughs> All right, fine. We're doing we're doing Toy Story 2. Toy Story 2. Okay, I will say, so again, we're, we're sticking with the rest of the list now. There's no other... Don't worry. We're good. I would not dare change any of those. Okay, I would actually say Toy Story 2 is the third best animated movie of that year. Maybe. I actually think that. I think it's phenomenal. Which is crazy because I love this movie, but okay, this is your list. Go ahead, talk about it. Okay, Toy Story 2, obviously the second in the much-beloved Toy Story franchise, which is a franchise now, holy fuck. Yeah. Uh, it is, is this a John Lasseter film too? John Lasseter directed along with Ash Brannon and Lee Un Uncrick, who did, I think, Finding Nemo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, John Lasseter did the original story for this as well. It was, uh, I should say, nominated for Best Original Song, When She Loved Me by oh. Randy Newman. Did not win that Oscar that year. Um, and of course, everyone knows the story. When Woody is stolen by a toy collector, Buzz and his friends set on a rescue mission to save Woody before he becomes a museum toy property with his roundup gang, Jesse, Prospector, and Bullseye. Yeah. Everyone knows the plot of Toy Story 2. 
It's a big, very important film for Pixar to get made. They weren't sure how they were going to do if they didn't, if this didn't succeed. They, this was kind of a winner that they needed at the time. Right. Yeah. It's one of it's one of those movies that uh, I think I'm not sure they knew whether or not anybody wanted Toy Story two or whether they, they, it was it was good for their integrity or whatever. I remember seeing a documentary about them saying that yeah, this could either go really great or really bad, but you know we believe in it, so let's do it. And um, it's weird because I it. it I go back and forth with Toy Story 2. I mean, I really love Toy Story 2. And I don't know where it ranks with the the three films that I have seen. Hmm. I would put it at the bottom. And I would. And that's no slight on the movie. That's the thing, though. It's like... I really love this movie. I yeah. think, though, clearly for me, it's 1-3-2. That's my ranking. Yeah. Which, I guess, maybe I'm being unfair. It does... The more I'm thinking about it, it kind of does deserve a spot in the top 12. Even... It, and... I, it's unfair to judge it against the other movies in the series. I shouldn't punish Toy Story 2 for being weaker than the original. It's almost just as good in a lot of ways. But though. yeah, I mean, it's still a movie that I grew up watching and I love. And there are certain moments that are etched in my brain forever. I think it's got maybe even more heart than that first movie. Not to say that the first one doesn't have heart. But I mean, this movie goes places that like, you know, it's a children's film in quotes. Right. And I've, I don't, I've never been so sad watching a movie before this. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting thing about the production. I read this in the Brian Rafferty book. Mm-hmm. The movie was supposed to be a direct-to-video. Really? Yeah. Oh, see, Which is, that. it was like Disney's thing in the 90s. Aladdin has like two yeah. direct-to-DVD sequels. Lion King has two to three. And I grew up watching those movies, but I didn't realize that these were never in theaters. And no one mm. like acknowledges them as canon. I know. You know, Disney would just release the first one. It would do well. And you would get Simba's Pride, Lion King Part 2. I mean, Lion King 1.5 is phenomenal. Love it. But again, Love no one has seen it. It's a, It never got a theatrical release. Yeah, that's true. Um, so... Toy Story 2 was about to become a forgettable sequel yes. that Disney often pumped out, but they decided to put it out in theaters, and thank God they did. Mm-hmm. They, I think, retooled it for a more mainstream audience. They made it a little longer, and uh, the rest is history. Now, animated sequels always go to theaters. Very rarely do you have the direct-to-DVD yeah. thing anymore. Yeah, quite the quite the success, honestly. And is it uh, is it their best sequel, Pixar's best sequel? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. it is. I like Incredibles 2 a lot. But... I do as well. Yeah. But I like, I mean, Jesus, I don't know. Yeah, it could be. Not Finding Dory is nowhere near as good. No, it's not. Cars 2 obviously sucks. <laughs> uh, it does Monster Us- Universities is kind of a prequel. Not, like... a, not a fan either, though, yeah. to be honest with you. Never saw it. Yeah, it's not that good. Yeah, it's something they're doing a lot more now. And I'm not sure that's the right approach i guess like their strategy is one original movie one sequel one original movie one sequel and they're going back and forth with that okay so there are going to be plenty more monsters inc things there's going to be plenty more finding nemo things mm-hmm. um obviously toy story 4 i'm still a little torn on that i don't know because this is the thing that came out of uh, the the fact that pixar knew that they could make sequels is now we're getting toy story 4 right and i, I honestly it doesn't look that great Based yeah, on those trailers. I felt the same way. Yeah, I was like, yee, like, I don't know about this. Like, something about this just feels like it, its head's not in the right place. The trailer kind of felt like, you know how they do the Toy Story Halloween specials? Yeah. And the Christmas specials on yeah. NBC? It felt like one of those. Mm. 
it didn't feel like a standalone cinematic experience. Yeah, it, there's something that almost felt a little more juvenile about it, which is weird because these, again, these are kids' movies. They're but, movies about toys. Yeah. <laughs> They're I'm, literally about children's and toys. And I'm sitting here like, hmm, it's a little too juvenile no, for no, my no, taste. Not, not intellectual it's enough not, for me. <laughs> but that w- Where's that, the political allegory? <laughs> to anybody who hasn't seen these films before, they're like, it's about fucking toys. Right. But then you watch the movies and you're like, oh yeah, these, these, these require a very specific standard for us now. Right. We've come to expect something from these toy story films that's greater than just you know like i kicked you haha right um there's a lot of stuff i love about this movie oh god yeah love that go ahead that opening is one of the most fun things ever remind me of the opening when buzz is coming down for the planet and he lands and there's just like these spikes everywhere the the lasers that shoot at him it's like and and then he's going into the the tunnels and he fights zerg and then he gets blown in half it's just like it's oddly a really like exciting cinematic sequence right i remember seeing it just being like that was incredible yeah and it's just like again it's a it's a toy figure (laughs) jumping around (laughs) laser beams and shit it's like and it's cgi it's clearly not real but oh my god it's so much fun and the entire movie is like that just one awesome set piece after the other like when they're uh, crossing traffic to Oh, is that the one with the the cone? Yeah, they're underneath the cone. Yeah, and the oh, 18, that's the best. And the eighteen wheeler just falls over and almost hits Mister Potato Head. <laughs> to maybe my favorite third act of all of any Pixar movie when they're on the the the, the conveyor, conveyor belts. Belt. Right, I love that. Yeah, it's awesome. In the TSA check, yeah, it's, the, it's so cool. I just oh, I love that. Right. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I kind of, man, the more you're talking about it. The, the, the Cheetos <laughs> on really the floor. I'm really coming along on this. Yeah. With the, like the minefield of Cheetos when he's trying to avoid them. And then, he, then Bullseye steps on one. It's just like, oh, it's so smart. Everything in Big Al's toy barn is awesome. <laughs> yeah. I, I love, that's Newman, obviously, Wayne Knight, who plays it Big Al. It even looks like him, too. It looks like Newman. He acts like Newman. It's, <laughs> it's just tremendous. It has like this dark sensibility too because it's not the the toy store is not open for business during the movie Mm -hmm. it's like after hours so all of the aisles are darkly lit and you have i just remember that image the giant wall of buzz lightyear toys when buzz meets himself Mm -hmm. all that interplay is hilarious and awesome um i love the sequence we just talked about the song that was nominated for best song that year when she loved me when you hear jesse's story and how she got there, it's right up there with the five-minute sequence and up for just like a <laughs> tear-jerking uh, musical emotional moment. Oh, my God, yeah. It's just tremendous. And all that stuff just works really well. Woody going back to his roots. Mm-hmm. I didn't think the Jesse character at first would work. No, yeah, um, me neither. Mostly because when I first saw this movie, I was an eight-year-old boy. <laughs> and I'm like, why are these girls getting in the way of my action figure movie? <laughs> yep. But the more I think about it and the more I revisit that movie, the more I love that character. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually like the villain a lot. I was going to say Stinky Pete. Stinky Pete, played by Kelsey Grammer. Oh, I love that shit. Yeah. Kelsey Grammer is just one of my favorite human beings. <laughs> is he really? I love Kelsey Grammer. Are you a big Frasier fan? <laughs> kind of am. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. What, I don't seem like a Frasier fan to you? No. (laughs) No, you don't. (laughs) Yeah, I'm with you. Listen, I can't argue against Toy Story 2 being on this list. It's a tremendous movie. It's great. And I think it's much better than people give it credit for. I actually think, I mean, I think people now have started to appreciate it, but I, for the longest time, I thought it was fairly underrated. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's about right. Okay. Toy Story 2. Welcome to the club. Yeah. Well, now this list has gotten substantially less dark. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, that's nice. That's yeah. a good note to stand on. Because I was looking at it, too. I was like, Iron Giant still kind of fits in line with my other movies. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a movie about Cold War paranoia yeah. and government overreach and weapons of mass destruction. Yeah. You know? Yeah, political interference and all that other Counterterrorism. Yeah. yeah, all that shit, man. That's yeah, a violent dark... I, by, by the way, love The Iron Giant. God, I love The Iron Giant. Adore it. Fucking great movie. Brad Bird. Before Incredibles. Mm-hmm. Before Mission Impossible. That's right. Before Ratatouille. Before Ratatouille, yes. You always, you always forget that he did Ratatouille. I always forget Ratatouille. Yeah. That's right. Love Ratatouille. Yeah. Iron Giant's awesome, too. Yes. Okay. Awesome. Man, what a great year for, like, multiple genres. I know. Amazing. Speaking of multiple genres, in quotes, if we, if we can even put a genre on this next one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's do it. Are you going to put Deep Blue Sea on here at the last second? Yes. Day? No, I'm just kidding. I would never. <laughs> but don't, don't, don't make fun of Deep Blue Sea, Nico. Stop it. Deep Blue Sea is the best movie ever made. It's the best. Can't argue with that. <laughs> you should, you, LL Cool J is just <laughs> kicking ass as a chef. Did I tell you I went to the Smithsonian National <laughs> Portrait Gallery? No. So I went there a couple of weeks ago. I was in D.C., and I went to like the modern American section and the biggest portrait. So like this is basically anyone who's ever been everyone in American history is in this gallery. Okay. Right. So all the presidents, all of the Native American leaders, everything. Right. Um, I get to the modern American section and there's like some photos of Beyonce and paintings of George Lucas. And there's just like random people. The biggest painting in the entire fucking room LL Cool J sitting in a chair. They actually put velvet rope in front of the painting what? so you wouldn't get too close to it. Like it was the prized possession in the modern American room. Why? Dude, I'll show you a picture, dude. Look how giant this painting was. You know, look at that. What the, the entire look how big that painting is. What the fuck? You know, he paid for that. And they put velvet rope. He As pa- if, like, don't get too close to the Cool J. He paid for that display through and through. There's no fucking way. Look at that painting. That is nuts. What the, the hell? The entire wall, dude. What the fuck is that? <laughs> the entire height of the wall. It's a pretty dope painting. No, still. it's not bad, but like <laughs> LL Cool J above George Lucas? Like, uh, okay, yeah, I get it, right? <laughs> What's George Lucas got to do with anything? Michelle Obama was in there. Yeah, it's like, what, are the, like what was happening here? Okay. Uh, being John Malkovich. Yes. Directed by Spike Jones, written by Charlie Kaufman, mm-hmm. starring John Cusack, Cameron Diaz, Catherine Keener, and the god John Malkovich. Correct. A puppeteer discovers a portal that leads directly into the head of movie star John Malkovich. Nominated for three Oscars, including Best Actress in a Supporting Role for Catherine Keener, Best Director, and Best Original Screenplay. Correct. Take it away, boss. Uh, wow. Okay. Um, yeah, I saw this movie recently, actually. No shit. Yeah, I think... Would have been last year, actually. Really? We recently just saw this movie. And i kind of known for a while that this would probably be a film that I loved. It's one of those movies that came around, uh, was sort of the the uh, resurgence of, of like, like uh, 
sort of like like against the grain filmmakers that were coming out of California, like who who were very into like skateboarding and punk and all those other other things, like uh, very much like like uh, what Spike Jones was about. Because before stuff like this, he was working with Jackass and, right. and filming a bunch of idiots in, in in the California suburbs, just doing skate. You know, skateboard tricks and all that other fun stuff. Yeah, Spike Jones was, and it's so funny looking back on it because his career has taken a totally different path. Yeah. But he was a notorious prankster. Yeah. He was like really transgressive and mm-hmm. hung out ar- around the punk scene and kind of made, made films as a hobby. You know, it, like did like a couple shorts, but, you know, now we see him as this very idiosyncratic, specific indie filmmaker. And powerful filmmaker, too. Yeah, really, like, emotionally powerful and sincere, too. Mm-hmm. Like, not a lot of stuff that he makes is with a wink anymore. Not really. Like, Her, for example, that's, I think, his latest movie yeah, I think is dense, man. That movie is, like, dripping with emotion. Mm-hmm. And it's it's dripping with heart. I know. Um, and it's certainly not, like... A movie that the jackass guys would dream up. No, no, which is why it always surprised me when I saw it. I was like, this is because Spike Jones is kind of part of the jackass crew. Yeah. Kind of is. For sure. And I was like, this this guy made this? Right. What? Right. It made no sense to me. And then I saw the movie and I was like, whoa, God, I'm never going to be the same. Yeah. This movie changed me. But the the fact that anybody could do that at all, like a guy like this who could be such an asshole, and not to say he's like an asshole, but you know, he's he's a punk. He's a jerk. Yeah, he's a jerk. He's, yeah. He doesn't belong anywhere. Yeah. Uh So I I had seen this one after her. Okay. Kind of kind of having a feeling of what it would be like, and then of course being tremendously surprised because it was not at all what I expected. Yeah. Uh and again, one of those movies where I just watch it and it's like this is so me. <laughs> Mm. This is so Adam. It's so in line with all the all those movies that I love of this time. It feel it feels like it's it's it, again being very odd and transgressive and weird and idiosyncratic and it seems to be breaking a lot of rules. It's telling a story that I've never heard before. Oh my god. And it's visually very interesting and unforgettable with some amazing performances. Uh there's even it's it, it and it's weird. There's a clear love for the music video industry of that time. Hmm. You know, there's a lot of I think this movie was funded by Propaganda films, which was co-founded by uh, David Fincher, and okay. even makes a cameo in this film. Oh, yeah, interestingly enough. So, um, yeah, it's 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 just the exactly like like my zone for like films and filmmakers, and it's just God. I don't even know how to describe this movie beyond those things. It's just. It's a hard one to pin down, and it's a hard one to pitch to someone on the elevator. Which is, the, I was like, how t- is this movie a thing? Yes. How did how did it get made? Right. Seriously. Could not agree more. I would say the same thing about other Charlie Kaufman movies. He's the one that write it, that mm-hmm. wrote it. It's an interesting meeting of the minds here. Spike Jones and Charlie Kaufman are a match made in heaven. Yes, but also like born to not match with anyone. Yeah, you know, like, it's like precisely they mesh so well together because they mesh well with no one else. <laughs> they are such outsiders and such specific voices, mm-hmm. but it feels like they understand each other's sensibilities so well. Yep. Charlie Kaufman wrote. Uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, um, Synecdoche, New York, and Anomalisa, which yep. just came out a few, which I did not see, but I heard was this beautifully poignant claymation movie that's yeah. like very like sexual and stuff. Yeah, I heard that too. Oh, he also wrote Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. And then there's a adaptation. An adaptation which Spike Jones directed as well. Yep. Which I kind of like. I've never seen it. Yeah, kind of like it a lot, actually. Hmm. Nick Cage, man. Really great Nick Cage performance. No shit, dude. He said it's the hardest thing he's ever done. Oh, Meryl's in that. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. 
that movie's awesome actually i'll I'll check it out yeah i'll I'll do that um yeah it's such a like one in a million experience watching this movie yeah and it i guess is not it's made for you i i don't necessarily think it's right in my wheelhouse but i appreciated just how original and unique it was Mm -hmm. one of the great things that i learned when reading the book this weekend is that charlie kaufman and spike jones always had John Malkovich in mind for this part. They never wavered from it. Really? Yeah. So Kaufman writes the script in 93. Okay. It was floating around Hollywood for a number of years. And from the jump, it was called being John Malkovich. They never thought about being Tom Cruise, (laughs) being Dustin Hoffman. You know, they never thought of bringing in a star with more name recognition. From the jump, we got to get John Malkovich and they got John Malkovich. Which is so tremendous. It wasn't like name X actor to put in this slot. Weird. Yeah. Isn't it weird? It's weird that he would agree to do this kind of a movie too. Right. It just so doesn't feel like him at all too. Yeah. But then you're like, it's it's sort of to me, if I'm being honest, it's sort of like his movie now. Like when I think of John Malkovich, of course I think of being John Malkovich. Right. Before he, like of Mice and Men or anything like that. Yeah. So in uh, the line of fire. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's true. Yeah. He's great in that. But it's like, yeah, no, this is the movie now, oddly enough. <laughs> well, it's a movie in tribute to him, which is such a unique... Sort of, yeah. Con- well, sure. But it's such a unique thing to have your name in the title of a movie and star in that movie and be the gateway to, to which uh, th- these characters escape. <laughs> it's so interesting. But like... What- <laughs> if Listen to yourself. <laughs> it's... <laughs> I'm I'm serious. What the fuck is this movie? <laughs> so if you haven't seen it, I recommend that you do. John Cusack is like an office manager or something. I don't know. He's like a I, word processor or something like well, that. Well, he, he's, he's a puppeteer at first. Oh, right, 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 right. right. He's, that's his passion. That's what he's always wanted to do. And then he starts working at this office that for some reason the, the, the floors are only half the normal height that they would usually be the elevator is half the height it would usually be no his specific floor is yes half the yeah, well that's what i'm saying his specific floor is only about like four feet high they squeezed it in yeah. it's like it's almost like they they built the the building and then they said oh there's some space in between the 12th and 13th floor let's try to squeeze in another floor there it's just this like weird sort of oddly surreal space yeah. which I guess kind of lends to what ends up happening in the film but it's just like I'm watching it's like where what, what like where do you come up with this why is this necessary what who who, who in their right mind would, would, would jump on this ridiculous idea but again like you wouldn't you wouldn't think of it but it's like oddly like right in line with the rest of the movie it makes total sense total, total sense yeah and it shouldn't but yeah so he finds a portal <laughs> hidden behind a filing cabinet yes and if you enter that portal, you then enter the mind of John Malkovich. Specifically John Malkovich. Right. You get to be John Malkovich, basically. Yeah. Well, you don't get to control him, but like you experience the ride with him. And if you talk, he hears your voice. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's c- concurrently a movie about like becoming someone else, but also a crazy actor hearing voices in his own head. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which adds to some interesting hijinks. So you go in there for like 15 minutes and you're like, wow, I get to be John Malkovich. And again, John Malkovich playing himself in this movie. Yep. And then after 15 minutes, you get dropped out of the sky off yeah. the side of a highway. Yeah. And that's the movie. Yeah. And Catherine Keener plays this woman that Cusack works with. 
and they have a love affair. And Cameron Diaz is Cusack's wife, who's like this hipster, I guess, I don't know, what's the word? Hip, she's very artsy-fartsy. Uh, she, I don't know. They're like, living they're, in a very, like, bohemian neighborhood in New York. Yeah, very carefree, hippie. Not even hippie, it's just like... She has a pet orangutan, let's put it that way. <laughs> I think it's a chimpanzee. Is it orangutan? Whatever. I don't even I fucking don't, know. I don't know. She has a pet monkey. Yes. And she hangs out with the pet monkey. She gets trapped inside a cage with a pet monkey at some point. That's right. And then she ends up, like, by... by She's sort of like the emotional thrust of the movie. Here's the other interesting thing about it. These characters are not good people. Most of them are not. No, none of them are really good people. Aside from, I guess, John Malkovich. Yeah, well, Diaz, Diaz is, I would say. Kind of. But she sort of gives up her, her boyfriend... Because she's like, I realize that I'm falling in love with this woman now after being inside the, the head of a man. Exactly. Maybe I am supposed to be a man. Yeah. It's, Cameron Diaz believes she's transgender yeah. because she spends so much time in Malkovich's brain. Really ahead of its time, too, in that odd way. But it's obviously not one that the transgender community was going to uh, uh, connect to right away. Right. But well, it, I'm not sure that's supposed to be like a no, like an accurate depiction of transgender people. I don't think so either. But it's <laughs> it's making some comment about it. I think right. Maybe. Yeah, it, it's it's a movie about becoming someone else. Yes, and how America and us, you and I, uh, desire to be what we are not rather than what we are. Yes, and you know, Cusack is not happy in his marriage, so he has an affair with Catherine Keener. She's sensual and mm-hmm. enticing and just like the portal into John Malkovich's brain. And there's a lot of interesting character in her play there. Um, look, man, I, it's not a movie that I, I revisit a lot. Nope. Um, it's a movie that I definitely respect and I'm entertained by as all hell. Me too. And it's a movie that lives in my brain because of these interesting ideas and the incredible production design. Oh my God. Yeah. Th- that's where the movie lives and dies. And that is most Spike Jones movies. It's such a singular vision. Mm-hmm. Um, and I respect it. And I a hundred percent agree with you. It is one of the best 10 movies of the year, 12 Absolutely. movies of the year by a mile. Did you know that Jordan Peele considers this almost, uh, uh, in the same universe, same as universe get out, right? as get out. Yeah. And it's just, when you Can think you about- explain the theory to me, it has to do with the people getting – I think it has to do with the old people trying to get trapped inside someone else's head and get out almost being like a like a precursor to that, like a less refined version of that notion until they actually find the portal, I suppose. So like Catherine Keener as a young woman discovered the portal into John Malkovich. Yeah. And so when she grew older, she developed a science in which she could implant other people's beings into – Yeah. I guess that's the idea. Or someone's like that. body. Yeah. Someone someone pitched it to Jordan Peele and he's like, Wow. Okay, yeah, sure. Right. <laughs> I don't know the full theory. I just remember I remember reading it a while ago and it thinking it was like really kooky and out there, but um his, his reaction to it was like, Oh wow, you know what? I never would have thought of that. And it works for me. So mm-hmm. go for it, guys. It's a real theory. Yeah. Um Roger Ebert declared it the number one movie of ninety nine. That was his favorite movie of ninety nine. Okay. So how do you like that? Yeah, I dig this movie a lot. Me too. And it's one that you should see if you have not seen it. Mm-hmm. And it's got some good performances and um but really it's a it's a director's showcase and it's a writer's showcase. Mm-hmm. And these guys have had much success afterwards because they are such specific filmmakers. So good for them. Malkovich. Malkovich Malkovich. Malkovich. <laughs> Malkovich Malkovich. It's such an interesting choice too for like a I don't fully get it. <laughs> I okay. I don't fully get it, but 
you can't have that big a name is the problem. Yeah. You know? Because if you have Tom Cruise, who wouldn't want to be Tom Cruise? Sure. You know what I mean? Is it just because of the weirdness of choosing John Malkovich? Like, there's just something so perfectly strange about that. He's strange, but again, he is notable without being overly famous. Yeah. <laughs> I love the scene where he's sitting in the, the, the restaurant and then this guy walks up to him. He's like, hey, how you doing? Like, I really love your films. Oh, yeah, thank you. Oh, yeah, I, I really like that movie uh, where you played the retard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, my brother's a retard and obviously I have a lot of affection for, you know, retards to, to see retards on screen portrayed so accurately. Yep. He's just like satirizing the use of the word retard. Yeah. I love that shit. It's so funny. Yeah. I mean, again... You wouldn't say that to Tom Cruise, though. No. <laughs> if you walked up to Tom Cruise, you'd be like, I'm in love with you. Please marry me. It wouldn't be, well, I might. loved your work in Born of the Fourth of July. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I guess, yeah. You might say that to him. I might be like, I liked you in like two movies. Right. <laughs> okay. That's what you would say to Tom Cruise. Okay. Sure. Um, again, no. Uh, good movie. Okay. Next. South Park, Bigger, Longer, and Uncut. Written and directed by Trey Parker and Matt Stone. Correct. Obviously, mm-hmm. because they star in this movie. <laughs> Written and directed by Seth MacFarlane. <laughs> they, uh, they play most of the characters in this movie. It is South Park. It is an episode of South Park. Kind of. Sure. Yeah, kind of. It is. It's, it's well, it's a little bit different, in, in my opinion. That is the one thing I wanted to say, and I'm sure you feel the same way. The Simpsons movie felt like an episode of The Simpsons, just a better one. Yes. Bigger, longer, uncut feels like an attempt to make a big screen experience. (laughs) Sort of, yeah. Even though it's still in the style of South Park and with the same characters as the television show. Kind of. The story feels like it has bigger stakes. It's a musical. So the existence of musical numbers separates it. That's the big thing is that this film is actually, it's like, it's a full-fledged freaking musical. Right. That's what it is. Sure. Which, so that adds to it. And it's a movie specifically about movies. Yeah. And it's commenting on the fact that they turned South Park into a movie. And they're almost gloating about how much they're allowed to get away with because they're no longer on basic cable. Yes. Which is the interesting thing. That's where the Terrence and Phillips segment comes in. When Carmen and his friends go see an R-rated movie, they start cursing and their parents think that Canada is to blame. (laughs) That is the description on IMDb about South Park, Bigger, Longer, and Uncut. Explain why you nominated it. Because it's uh, one of my favorite comedies, one of my favorite musicals, one of my my favorite movies of the year. And it's and it the I thought I was alone on this for a while, and then I did a little bit of research, and it's like one of the most beloved animated films ever made. Yeah, for good reason, in my opinion. <laughs> I I think this movie's fucking great. What is your relationship to South Park? Oh God, God I fucking love South Park. Right now, though, I, I've always loved South Park. You still all, watch it? Yeah. New episodes? Do you watch new episodes? I last season I saw all the way through was season eighteen. I've seen everything. Okay. Up until then, yeah. I think they're on like 20 now, though. They're a little... I'm when a little was Memba Berries? What? Memba Berries. Ooh. I don't know. That's the last time I watched the whole season. Memba Berries. Was the Memba Berries season. Mm, I don't know. That might have been like two years ago. Yeah. A year or two ago. Maybe even longer than that, honestly. Um, 
I'll tell you my relationship. <laughs> okay. When I was a kid, I hated South Park. Yeah. Did not like And all of my friends loved it, mm-hmm. and I didn't get it. Okay. I thought it was just raunchy for the sake of raunchiness. I didn't see any of the witty commentary, and I just enjoyed Simpsons more. Okay. And so I just chose Simpsons, and I stuck with that path. And then as I've gotten older, I'm not entirely... Here's the difference. I'm not sure if it's I've become a little more keen in my awareness and I can pick out the bits of social commentary that the creators lay for me or that Matt and Trey have taken the show more seriously as the years have gone on. And I think it might be a little bit of both. Uh, What, that you've... Why it's gotten better for you? Yeah. I think it's both, yes. Yeah. I think... but I. so to counter that, I would also say that I think there's a I think it's season nineteen where they start getting eighteen or nineteen they start getting more episodic with it or, or story driven right where every episode follows the next on a narrative level and it just kind of stopped working for me. Oh, okay, I, I guess they abandoned that because people were so against it and for good reason. I mean, really? That, yeah, because that really worked for me. Mm. See, I enjoyed that stuff a lot. They did that whole season about the PC culture. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. So you're, you're actually I, fairly ahead. Yeah, I, I enjoyed that season a lot. Now, see, I was really, it really didn't work for me. It didn't work for a lot of people, too. That, wow. was, that was the weird thing, yeah. See, I feel like the show has gotten so much smarter and so much more innovative. Yeah, I agree. Um, because it's, I, I, don't, I think it's timeless, though. I mean, the, the show responds to the culture at hand. Timely, I guess. Is timely, the word. yes. Yeah. Or timely, rather. Yeah. Either, but it's like endlessly funny, regardless. Though, like I, I can still go back and watch uh, episodes that are, are telling jokes that have nothing to do with you know 2019 and can't possibly relate to it. But just the nature of the joke is just funny. It's very much like uh, uh, like Monty Python in that way, which is interesting because Matt and Trey are very, very inspired by Monty Python. Yeah, the original few seasons were just an exercise in what these guys could get away with. Mm-hmm. The show started as like an animated short yes. that was passed around through email mm-hmm. before like YouTube was a thing, before viral videos were a thing. You used to just send people like minute-long video clips through email. Uh, this like sh- in, in this case, it was a shitty animation of cut-out cardboards of Santa beating up Jesus. Right. Like, awesome. <laughs> so that clip... I forget what it was called. Spirit Christmas. of Christmas. Spirit of Christmas, right. So that creates South Park. These guys get a show on Comedy Central. And for the first three seasons, it's all shit and fart jokes, basically, yeah, right? Much. Yeah. It's just crazy, raunchy stuff. Stan th- uh, throws up on, on his girlfriend. Well, not his girlfriend. I always forget her name. Um, oh, right. What the, the, fu- the girl that he's... Oh, shit. What the fuck is her name? Yeah, I'm forgetting as well. God damn it. Yeah, I... Uh, uh, Fuck the feminist. You, we, I know who you're talking. About. You know who we're talking about. Yeah. Um, Kenny dies every every episode. That kind of thing. Right. It's all childish humor. And then as the show progresses, to, again for me, it works a lot more. Um, this movie felt and still feels very much of the old sensibility, which is not necessarily a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I felt the social commentary in this movie to be lacking. The first time that I saw it. Okay. And even its attempt at social commentary was sort of insufficient. All right. I guess. Go, go ahead. Well, I mean, I felt like this was almost the movie that where they're trying to make us a, a stance and say that we're more than just those you know, shitty offensive jokes. You know, we're more than just like like potty mouth humor. 
And but we, they do that by making more potty mouth jokes in this movie than ever before. But again, to, so it's a catch twenty two. Almost to make a, a greater point, though, for me, you yeah, know, again about the nature of of their animation or the they're the nature of entertainment, right? Which is what's very interesting about this movie to me is is how it comments on our sort of sick desires for certain entertainment and why it works so much for us and why it's kind of never going to die. Right. Uh, and I don't know. I think it's pretty smart. I think it's actually really smart in doing that. And it makes, to me, it makes perfect sense because I guess I grew up with th- those kinds of shows and I responded more to those kinds of shows without doing, I guess, as much reflection myself. And then South Park comes along and asks me to reflect a little more on that. Right. But do it in a satisfying way. I'm not sure parental control over entertainment is necessarily a thing anymore. Yes. Or at least is that prevalent of a theme anymore. Mm-hmm. Like the internet has almost blown that off. Yes. Like has blown the lid off that shit. It, it is now, it, parents admit it is impossible to control what your children see anymore. I know. Because they have access to the internet. <laughs> so it's like what's happening on basic cable or what's being shown in movie theaters mm-hmm. is hardly a consideration. I know. There's a character, uh, or um, they end up, Implanting a chip into Cartman's brain. <laughs> yes. Called the V chip. Yep. And every time Cartman swears, he gets an electric shock from the V chip. <laughs> Do you know what a V chip is? In real life? Yeah. Uh, no. So a V chip is something you used to put on your TVs in order to like parental lock certain channels. Oh. That's a real thing. Interesting. And I see you don't even know what it is. I only know it because I remember seeing commercials for it in the early 2000s. That was a joke about censorship on television. Okay. So a lot of that stuff is lost on you. It's aged kind of poorly because the means at at which teenagers and kids explore this stuff has changed dramatically. I guess it's still uh, it's prevalent towards uh, the nature of television to a certain degree. But even then, kids don't watch TV anymore. Well, I don't. Little kids, you mean? Kids, period, dude. My okay, my baby cousin is two years old. She knows how to navigate YouTube better than my mom does. I mean, I know that that that's certainly true. I I don't know if I fully agree with them not watching. They, if they're watching TV, they they could be watching it on their computers. They watch YouTube now. Yeah, they watch YouTube. I don't consider that TV. But I I don't know. I mean, when I when I worked as a lifeguard only a couple of years ago, I mean, you'd, you'd talk with kids about stuff that they were watching on TV all the time. It wasn't exactly a foreign concept to them. That's not my experience, at least. It's not as um, it's not as a, a part of their lives as it once was. I think now that I'll agree with. It's not nearly as uh, it's not the forefront. I can say that. Mm. Sure. All that being said, pretty good music in this movie. Yes. One of their songs. Blame Canada was nominated for best original song at the Oscars. Why it didn't win, I don't know. It's phenomenal. What won that year? Do you know? Uh, Tarzan. Okay. The Phil Collins thing. Yeah, right. Which is like, yeah, whatever. That makes sense. Yeah, whatever. Uh, it's in first and foremost, it's just fucking hilarious. So yeah, Satan and Saddam Hussein have a love affair in this movie. Like there's yep. <laughs> there are multiple scenes where Saddam Hussein is like Satan, come back and fuck. <laughs> And it's hysterical shit. <laughs> oh my god, I love it. And yeah. The, and the representation of Saddam Hussein in this movie could not be funnier. It's so it. good. It's like Satan is in an abusive relationship yeah. with Saddam Hussein and ends up becoming the hero at the end of the movie when his demons raid Earth <laughs> and slaughter people. <laughs> By the end of it, like Satan's like, yeah, stop by whenever you want. Come back anytime. 
Doors always open. We'll have a cup, a cup of coffee on the pot ready for you. It's just you're watching it, and you, you get to the point where it's like you forget about it, and you're actually rooting for Satan to win. Right. <laughs> it's like, wait a second. <laughs> Something's wrong here. It's hilarious. Oh, I love it's it. It's great. I love what they do with Kenny. Yeah, me too. Uh, obviously, like the movie had to go above and beyond from what the TV show did. Yes. You know, they had to do more with the you killed Kenny joke. Mm-hmm. And they literally send Kenny to hell and he becomes the um the the, uh, the avatar, the audience avatar to see what's happening with Satan and Saddam Hussein. Mm-hmm. That stuff's just brilliant. There's a lot of like weird psychedelic shit. Yes. Um it's it's just yeah, it's fucking hilarious. It's, it's South Park. It's bonkers. It's awesome though. I just love it. And again, right in line with this year, it's very again, just against the grain and transgressive and fun and funny, and people seem to really like it. Right. Yeah. Mm. The NK song. Okay. Okay. So good, man. I fucking love this movie. Yeah, what can you say other than you love South Park? I love South Park and how could you not love the movie? Yeah. It's great. Yeah. A lot of cameos. George Clooney shows up? Yeah, he's the doctor. We've replaced your heart with a baked potato. You're going to be dead in 30 seconds. <laughs> They're just tearing him to shreds. They're just removing random arteries and shit. They're cutting open. They're removing like entire organs. <laughs> it makes no sense. <laughs> they put it... Uh, they put it in the microwave. <laughs> I love the it. Big gay Al at the end oh doing the dance naked. God, it's funny. Yeah, all the cursing. It's just, it's, it's yeah. awesome. It's yeah. awesome. Yeah. What uh, else can you say about it? What else can you say? All right, next. Oh, here we go. Oh, this is a fun one. This Ooh. is a fun one. I love this shit. On to the big three. Yeah. Go ahead. What's next? The Blair Witch Project. The Blair Witch Project. Yes. The, the... The film that popularized found footage films. Not the first found footage film. That honor goes to Cannibal Holocaust. Oh. A very good movie. Uh, It is? Yeah. Okay. It's not an easy watch, but it's pretty good. I wouldn't say Cannibal Holocaust created the genre, though. Yes, it did. Well, it was the first of the genre, but it didn't like start the spawn. No, but that's why yeah. I say this is the po- one that popularized it. Yeah, popularized it. it, yeah. This is the doom of found footage movies. Okay. So, uh, yeah, and um, filmed in my my original hometown. Right. Yeah, in Baltimore, Maryland. Sure. Yeah, yeah good, good. Wire country. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I think of it as Adam country. Okay, man. Yeah, you you are definitely not a character they would have portrayed on the wire. <laughs> could you imagine me on the no, wire? No, I couldn't. Yes, come on. I'd be I'd be right in line with with Omar. You'd be the corrupt cop, bro. Just shooting <laughs> motherfuckers. <laughs> when you walk through the garden. <laughs> anyway, uh, uh let me just get the formalities out of the way. Written and directed, quote unquote, by Daniel Myrick and Eduardo Sanchez, yes. starring Heather Donahue, Michael C. Williams, and Joshua Leonard as Heather Donahue, Michael C. Williams, and Joshua Leonard. Three film students vanish after traveling into the Maryland forest to film a documentary on the local Blair Witch legend, leaving only their footage behind. Okay. This film was sort of notorious when it came out because everyone thought it was real. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, obviously, we know that it wasn't real, mm-hmm. <laughs> I would hope. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Now, here's the thing, is that I saw this film much later, obviously. I saw this film probably freshman year of high school, Mm -hmm. knowing that none of this was real. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, I saw it in bright daylight in my basement. Mm-hmm. I was not primed for it. Uh, it was not. I was not in the right conditions to watch a scary movie like this. That being said, this is one of the three scariest films I've ever seen in my entire life. Of course it is. <laughs> of course it this is. This movie's fucked. <laughs> dude, it fucks with you, dude. Oh my god. You are right there with these people, and you are losing your mind with them, and it is... Oh. I mean, I still watch this movie now, and it freaks me out. I'm not even kidding. If I need a good scare, I can just throw this movie on. I don't know how I would have reacted if I saw this in the theaters in 99. (sighs) I want to say, like, I would be the most level-headed among my peers and be like, come on, guys. They wouldn't have released this, uh, you know, this, this real documentary footage about a bunch of kids getting abducted by a witch. Like, that's... Stop. But I'm not so sure I would have reacted that way. No. I'm not so sure cooler heads would have prevailed for me in 99. You know? I might have been one of those sheeple. Who was fooled? Yeah. I might have been fooled. I can't say for sure, but I might have been fooled. And, oh my god. Okay, I've I've had people, or not people, but I've read about this film, and there were certain people who were taken back by but like part of the reason they were saying that they weren't totally sold on it was the performances yep i literally can't wrap my head around that i think the performances are incredible i think they're remarkable i think they're actually spectacular yes (laughs) specifically heather donahue yeah i think she is mind-bogglingly good in this movie yeah i agree yeah there's there's a level of realism with these performances again you just don't do that because i've seen people attempt it before yep and it's failed miserably. Yeah. It, I mean, the, the, the walls are, are completely down. It's like, yeah, no, I'm watching a fucking movie. Right. And somehow, even on rewatch, I'm just like, Jesus, how are these people acting? How is this not a real how, – how are they not actually being captured in the forest here? It's. Re- I think it's spectacular. Right. I really, how much do you know about the production of this movie? Uh, A little bit. Okay. I know that the director was essentially giving them uh, ideas on, on how – a scene would play out but he wouldn't give them a shit ton of direction it was like just you need to get to this point with your characters now go out and do that and i'll leave you in the woods and i'll fuck with you from afar right i didn't know this until i read the book this weekend Mm -hmm. and it blew my goddamn mind Mm -hmm. here's what they did they hired three actors who have not been in any big screen or small screen projects before they did maybe like a commercial or two yes so no one knew who they were they shipped him out to Maryland. Yep. And they said, you're going to spend a week in the woods and we're barely going to talk to you. Yep. We'll be off to the side wearing camouflage behind that tree over there <laughs> just to make sure you don't die. But other than that, you're on your own. Yep. So when I use the term written and directed by Daniel Merrick and Eduardo Sanchez, I use that term very loosely because there was no screenplay. Nope. There was just a bunch of bullet points, and there was very little direction on set. Yeah. There was, obviously, you had to be in the editing room, and you had to give direction uh, through, like, notes and shit, but they were like, here, guys, here's a map. Here's, like, go to this campsite. At the campsite, you'll find a barrel of shit. In that barrel of shit will be character notes Mm -hmm. and stuff to survive. Other than that, camp, film yourselves, and improvise. Yeah. 
What? Who makes a movie like that? Who dreams that up? Well, <laughs> who? What kind of sicko dreams that up? I think it's a an incredible idea. What an experiment! I think it's an awesome idea. And here's the thing: is that it worked. Yeah, it worked. <laughs> yeah, it worked. This movie is what is this like? One of the most successful independent films ever made? Yeah, it's one of the like most profitable movies ever made for mm. sure. I think it cost sixty million dollars and ended up grossing two hundred and fifty million worldwide. It didn't cost sixty million dollars. No, sixty thousand. I'm Six, sorry. It was like no sixty thousand dollars. Grossed two fifty worldwide. Holy shit. Yeah. Holy shit. Made 30 in the opening weekend because they had such word of mouth buzz. Yeah. Because they created the website and there was this hoax. They changed the IMDB pages mm. of the actors to deceased, which is, wow, that was like viral before viral was a thing. There, did, did, I don't, there's the, the, I mean, the website all about the movie and, and going to, 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 to. Uh, search for the actors. I think there was like a like a number that you would call if you had seen these people, right? That kind of thing. They, I mean, the marketing for this movie was astounding. Yes, really astounding. No, it's a movie that like it's such an awesome hustle. Yeah, like it's such, it's such an incredible idea from start to finish, and the execution was spectacular. But again. It's kind of hard to call it a movie. I mean, obviously, it is a movie. It's a film. By definition, it's a film. But it is not made using the conventions of Hollywood storytelling. It's just... No. I mean, the fact that you actually have your actors filming the thing, mm -hmm. even when they make found footage movies now, yeah. you still got a cinematographer mm -hmm. holding the camera and, and pretending that the character is filming this. Yep. They just sent these guys into boot camp for seven days. Yeah. So it makes sense why the acting was so compelling because all of the dialogue was improvised. Yep. Most of the story beats are improvised. For example, when the character Mike kicks the map into the river, <laughs> that's an improvised story beat. Yep. And that becomes a major conflict, that a major thrust of the plot. Mm -hmm. Came up with that on the spot. Yep. So of course the acting feels sincere and of course they're breaking down men the characters feel like they're breaking down mentally because the actors are sort of breaking down yeah. mentally having had to camp in the woods for seven days mm -hmm. so there's so much meta stuff going on it's hard for me to classify this as a, a movie in the purest sense um it is more an incredible experiment an incredible work of marketing an incredible act of innovation and is it's just like such an inspiration for film nerds. Oh God, yeah. And kids at film school that are like, "How do I get my project made?" It's like, go out and make the movie. Just go and do it. It's one of those things for me personally because this is one of the one of the uh, one of the great inspirations for me. It's that uh, you, you sort of w when you're in this position and you're trying to make any movies, you sort of look at a film like this and you're like, "What's the next like?" uber simple idea like that that you could just execute and it can be an amazing thing right and you're, you're constantly like going through your head like what could work in that way you know and it's it's weird because i don't i don't know if anything's going to come along that is this simple but yet so effective right i mean it's truly a, a miracle that this film worked as well as it did and that's the thing i have to say it's like you, you could you know debate whether or not it's a movie in the traditional sense but for me, just the person watching it, all I care about is does it work? Of course. And of course it works. And of course, absolutely. Of course it works. It is terrifying. And actually, too, the ter the scares are not, um, they're not jump scares. No, not almost. I don't think there's any. I don't think they ever show the enemy. 
They never. Should. They almost did. There's a scene where they're running in the woods, and Heather just screams, "Oh, what the fuck was that? Right? What the fuck was that?" And they were supposed to turn the camera, and someone was supposed to be like, like raising their arms with like a cloaked figure, like like surrounding them or something like that. Right. And the camera was supposed to turn and catch that, like very very briefly. But they decided not to do it in the moment because they were just running away. Right. And we just don't know what the fuck she's rea- reacting to. Why would you ever turn your camera when you're being chased down by something yes. like that? Yes. I it's one of the five scariest films I think I've ever seen, hmm. and uh, Jesus, I, the, the, there's one the one scene that always sticks with me because it's happened to me before in the woods is when they um, they they're just kind of walking and they're sort of by themselves. I mean, and obviously, and they come to a point where there are all these like figures hanging up. Right. It is one of the single scariest things I've ever seen in a movie. It's so quiet and eerie and weird. And it's like, this is so wrong in every conceivable human way. And you don't really understand why it's wrong. It's just that feeling of dread that just falls on you. Right. Oh, it freaks me out. Even now, even just thinking about it freaks me out. Mine is always when they pass the log. Oh God. The second time. That's not the same log. It's the same log. It's the same log. It's like, Oh, <laughs> that is the God. Worst. Damn. It's everyone's biggest nightmare for sure. Yeah. They also do like a pretty good job. And this is a credit to these three actors, which is so funny. They didn't be because of the I read about this in the book and they were they the author interviewed a few of the actors. Mm-hmm. They were kind of resentful that they weren't included in the press tour. Because like the studio said, You're not allowed to go on the Tonight Show. You're not allowed to do any interviews with the press because we want to sell the fact that you're dead. So they were stuck at home while the premiere's going down and while the directors are taking bows at all these film festivals. You know, they're sitting back at home twiddling their thumbs and didn't really get credit. This movie is all them. They yeah. basically wrote it. They basically shot it. I mean, they are the de facto cinematographers because they held the cameras themselves. So... Mm. It, it is a testament to that. I know there was another cinematographer credited. Uh-huh. If you didn't pick up the camera, you're not the cinematographer, really, yeah. right? No, they made the movie. Yeah. Which would be interesting. I, You know what we should do is get a documentary going, uh, interviewing just these people. Right. About their feelings towards the film and what happened. Yeah, they were very resentful in the book. One of them said it felt kind of shitty. The only acknowledgement we got was like a month in. When the film passed a hundred million at the box office, they got a fruit basket, and that's the only thing the studio did for them. Did they get paid? I mean, they got paid, but they didn't get you know they didn't get a share of the two fifty. Jesus! I think one of the actors said he broke, I think, or he, he cracked three hundred thousand. That's what he ultimately made from the movie. Uh, still, <laughs> because they did way more than just act in this movie. It's all them, I and know. it's kind of unfortunate. No one from this movie went on to do anything of note. I think the 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 Josh actor actually did some stuff. Okay, and the one of the guys became like a like an English teacher, and then the girl. I don't think she did anything. Yeah, and the directors obviously didn't go on to do anything. Either. Not really. No. So, um, yeah, it's such an interesting behind the scenes how you would dream up an experiment like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also don't think it's easily replicable no because they tried to do it recently with a movie called just blair witch directed by adam wingard right it's not terrible okay it's not particularly good either it is a roller coaster version of uh blair witch and they've even said that it's like the if you were to make an action movie version of blair witch that's what you would get and it's not scary it's not scary it's not scary the characters suck 
Oh. It's it's very cut out. It's at the same time it's like all the worst aspects of Adam Wingard. Oh really? Mm-hmm. Well, that's too bad. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, not 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 a huge fan of that. I'd give it like a C. And that was the sequel or a remake? Sequel. Okay. Because they've it's the second sequel because they did a, a Blair Witch two, which has nothing to do with oh, the right. actual Blair Witch. Yeah, which yeah. we we could probably do for why is this a thing? It's that bad. Yeah, and it's a, kind of like a meta commentary on how audiences reacted to the movie okay which is kind of interesting but it's just horrible Mm. yeah big shout out to these guys the other note that i had is the the actors find compelling reasons to keep the camera going Mm -hmm. which is another very important detail that is not often paid attention to in the newer found yeah. footage movies oh i just but it's like little stuff though like when she's crying and they're they're pushing they're pushing the camera in her face they're like yeah how does it feel to have the camera in your face and she doesn't really do much other than say it's all i fucking have right and she just keeps crying and that's it they right. don't address it i'm just like wow that's oddly poignant but the characters really often sad, say yeah. turn the camera off yeah and as opposed to like the cloverfield yeah movies of the world that somehow perfectly frame the monster when he, when he comes, you know what I mean? Like, it's just all so neat and so expertly choreographed, mm-hmm. and it doesn't have the same authenticity that yeah. this movie does. And a lot, of the, well, a lot of that's due to the fact, like, the character of Heather is, is try, an, an, an uh, aspiring documentary filmmaker. An obsessive documentarian, too. Well, documentarians are just obsessive. If you've right. ever met one, right. they, they will never turn the camera off. I'm surprised there's not more footage in the movie. Right. <laughs> Honestly. Right. So, so yes, it's it's done compellingly in that way and it pays a lot of attention to the smaller details. Yes. And I appreciated that a lot. It's a terrifying movie. The ending is terrifying. The monologue that she does, the iconic monologue where the camera is straight up her nostrils, essentially where she says, I'm afraid to open my eyes. I'm afraid to close them. Girl, you improv that line girl for real. Good job. (laughs) They should give you a check every time that's uttered. (laughs) Give that chick the Oscar, bro. God, it's so good. I'm afraid to close my eyes. I'm afraid to open them. I don't think Aaron Sorkin has ever written something that good in 30 years of screenwriting. (laughs) That's a terrifying idea, bro. What a line that like that is Mamet. That is Duncan right (laughs) over David Mamet, Aaron Sorkin. It's so bleak. It ends with I'm going to die out here. (laughs) What a monologue. (laughs) Chick, you improv that shit and they give you like 50,000 in royalty checks. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. It's it's crazy. Good on these guys. Let's have her on. Why is this a thing? I'm sure we could. Let's find her. I'm sure we could get her on. There's no doubt in my mind. We can get Heather Donahue. I want to talk to her about that. (laughs) Me too. Oh my God. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Let's get her on the pod. Let's try it. Yeah, let's do it. We'll give her a shot. I'm sure she's got an email somewhere, right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. We'll talk about it. <laughs> All right. <sighs> Go ahead. Next up. What? Oh, the next up is a little movie, a little insignificant movie that no one likes. Called, Indie film. Yeah. yeah. Ca- called The Matrix? Is that how you pronounce it? <laughs> it's the French pronunciation. It's the main tr- maitre. Matra. Matra. The matra. Wow. <laughs> soft soft X. Yeah. Hadn't seen it before. Hadn't heard of it before this podcast. You mm-hmm. know. Um, directed by Lana and Lily Wachowski. <laughs> no. Don't laugh at that shit. No, it's not. In in the credits of this movie, it's the Wachowski brothers. Got yeah, but they're yeah. now the Wachowski sisters. Yeah. Which good for them. Um let's just call them the Wachowskis. How about that? Okay. okay. Is that a happy medium? Yes. All right. Starring 
the god Keanu Reeves, who is yep. having quite a moment right now. Oh my god! What a moment for Keanu! Keanu's the best. He's the best thing that's ever graced this planet. It's the third Keanu Assange. Yeah, isn't yeah. It, isn't it weird? Yeah, you're right. It He's is. having another resurgence. How many resurgences did this guy need? I don't know. He doesn't. Well, he doesn't need it. No. Any really? I mean, he was perfectly fine after he was done with Point Break, I guess. Mm. No, but he's back yeah. again. He's showing up in this video game. He had this cameo in this Netflix movie that came out this week. Really? What was that called? Always Be My Maybe. <laughs> okay. Interesting. Yeah, he, he had a cameo in that. Chapter three, obviously. He's going to be in Toy Story 4. Oh, God. Okay. Incredible. Um, Lawrence Fishburne, Carrie Ann Moss, Hugo Weaving, all in this movie. Mm-hmm. Nominated for four Oscars won all four of them. Best film editing, best sound, best visual effects, and best sound editing. Oh, yeah. Am I boring you? Yeah. No. I'm just taking off my jacket or my sweatshirt, whatever the hell it is, because it's hot in here. I'm sweating balls. A computer hacker learns from mysterious rebels about the true nature of his reality and his role in the war against its controllers. I will say this. The Matrix is the only movie in the National Film Registry from the year 1999. Kind of weird. Why? Uh, I think you could throw Blair Witch on there. Oh. I think you could probably throw the next film we're going to talk about on there eventually. Yeah, but they'll get in. Yeah. You don't think this is the most obvious choice for national film? I mean, maybe. Yeah, I guess. Sure. Huh. All right, go ahead. What are you going to say about it? Nothing. I love this movie. Okay, good. I love this movie. I love everything. Is I gonna about... have to fight you on this? No, this movie's fucking dope. Okay, good. This movie's awesome. <laughs> this is like one of my all-time favorite science fiction films. Yeah. Yes. Brought brought up from a combination of other things. It's very inspired by uh, Ghost in the Shell and Blade Runner. And uh, Ghost in the Shell. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Oh God. Yes. Really? Which? Yeah. Oh, well, how old is Ghost in the Shell? Well, the anime in the the manga came out uh, a little while ago. Before this, I don't know when exactly, but uh, 1990 maybe. Okay. Uh, but yes, heavily inspired by those, and the original Ghost in the Shell manga is direct, almost directly inspired by Blade Runner. So that's where you get that. Um, and this movie takes a lot of those interesting themes of of reality and and questioning yourself and and what you, what your place in the world is all about. I mean, that's just like the thematic shit. <laughs> um, this movie is just the, the fucking awesome. Yeah, I mean, I, I jumped to that way too quickly, but I mean, this movie is one of the most fun things I've ever seen, and for good reason. It certainly earned its title, and it certainly earned its uh, its 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 legacy for being such a visually. Uh, uh, memorable film, yeah. I just, I just, I just love everything about this movie. It's another one of those movies that you know it even if you haven't seen it. Yep. It's just that um, iconic and that much ingrained into our culture. Mm-hmm. The plot is an interesting philosophical question. I, I love the questions it asks. Period. Yeah, All of they're them. just great questions, and it's not like stoner talk either. No. It's not just. You know, obviously the the Morpheus meme, yeah. where he's like, "What if I told you that Kevin Durant actually wasn't playing in Game Five of the NBA Finals?" Like, they it's just been it's been memefied to the the point of absurdity. <laughs> yep. You know, 
But at the time, it was actually a brilliant question. Mm -hmm. What if the reality that you're living is not the true reality? Mm -hmm. And does it matter? Which is so fascinating. Is it worth sacrificing everything that you have in the pursuit of the truth? Quote, unquote. Scary idea, too. Really scary. Really scary. And the hero, Keanu, decides to take the red pill and decides to leave the Matrix and uh, and fight the alien invaders yep. for control of the planet. But he doesn't have to. But for some reason, the choice seems obvious. Mm-hmm. And it seems obvious because the movie's logic says Keanu's the chosen one and he's the, the, the guy that is supposed to free humanity. Yep. So it is the right decision for our hero to make. But also... It feels like the same decision that you and I would make, yeah. I think. Probably. And that, that's a really interesting proposition. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to think about this idea of blissful ignorance. We mm-hmm. often hear about blissful ignorance. Yes. It is best to not be aware of some of the cruelties of the world because that would inhibit you from living a happy and successful life. Mm-hmm. But this movie says there are bigger issues at hand there are more important considerations and the truth no matter how easy or hard it is to take is the right approach i'm not sure if it's a if it's the correct argument but it's certainly an interesting argument it's an interesting question to think about okay yeah i agree with pretty much everything you just said yeah yeah and uh jesus christ oh where to go from here (laughs) i have some fun facts you want to hear some fun facts yeah sure okay so Here's who they asked to star as Neo in this movie. Will Smith. Mm-hmm. He said, no, I'm making Wild Wild West instead. Oh, God. Okay. Have you seen Wild Wild West? <laughs> no, not yet. <laughs> We're going to do that on Why Is This a Thing pretty soon. Yeah, we are. For Western Month. Oh, my God. That's not even a Western, by the way. They asked Brad Pitt. Okay. Nope. He said no. They asked Leo. He said no. He didn't want to do another special effects movie after Titanic. Okay. It got to the point, this is according to one of the producers of the movie, it got to the point where we offered it to Sandra Bullock and said we'd change Neo to a female. That's how desperately they didn't want to key ask Ke- cast Keanu Reeves. Really? Yeah. I love how like he's so right for it that they, they didn't have a choice. Just fate was saying, no, you're, you're fucking hiring. Yeah, literally, the Matrix led you in that yeah. direction. That's hilarious. Yeah. So Keanu does it and, of course, begins an iconic action career. And, you know, the only reason he has John Wick now is because of The Matrix. Yep, um, precisely. Even the directors of uh, uh, John Wick are directly tied to The Matrix, right? Yeah, they were his stunt coordinators, I think. That's right. On yeah. The Matrix, yeah. And, um, of course, the, the rest is history. I think he is basically the perfect, perfect performer because he commits to the action Yes. And he commits to the stunt coordination. And, you know, he's doing it for John Wick now, and everybody is is uh, is all in a tizzy about how much work he does behind the scenes on John Wick. But he spent multiple months training to be on uh, on The Matrix. And I think at one point had to get, like, spinal fusion surgery. Ow. Because I get, there was, like, a problem with his spine. The doctor said you won't be able to walk until you get this surgery. Goes and leaves pre-production gets the surgery comes back with a neck brace and they're like uh yeah you can't fight keanu but you can like practice your lines so he spent like a lot of pre-production in a cast what the fuck and then went right into it and did most of his stunts oh my god that man is not human he's a god 
And it's just funny though that that he I mean committing to it the way that he does. This is maybe my favorite Keanu performance. Yeah. Oddly, but it's like it's it's weird because it's not the one that has the most personality of all of his roles. It's certainly not the one that is the most like uh, li- like lively. It, but at the same time, I don't know. It's just so sincere. It's yeah. It's it's incredibly iconic. I guess when I think of Keanu, I always think of this movie. Yeah. Before anything else, and I think before that, you wouldn't have necessarily had said that. You probably would have thought Bill or, Bill and Ted or maybe even like speed, you know, then, then this kind of surpassed that it sort of transcended the, the image of Keanu, right. Which is what you kind of already mentioned about his, uh, Renaissance. <laughs> this is, this quite literally is a Renaissance in the, in the minds of the, uh, of, of general audiences. They stopped seeing all those other films and they just saw the matrix. Right. So, yeah, I wouldn't say that the series is particularly good. Nope. And if I'm being completely honest, brings this film down a little bit for me just because they feel of a piece. Yes. That's the problem with the sequels. It doesn't feel like a continuation. And in fact, as I learned from the book as well, the script was written in its entirety and they split it up into three movies. Yeah. So like they just like added certain parts to like the first act and that became the original Matrix movie. Okay. So, and my god, it's so much better than those other movies. Yeah, they're you, they're so bad. Have you seen the other two? Oh yeah. Yeah. Fucking hell. Like I don't hate any one of them, but I'm just, like the, the level of decline is actually kind of shocking. Yeah. Like they are just not good. There is an interesting fight sequence in part two, mm-hmm. like the stuff with the truck. Yeah. I like that part. I like the chase sequence on the highway quite a bit. Yeah. Ah, uh, God. But I mean, like that movie's just, they're snoozers. Right. They're really fucking boring. And part of my issue with, I guess, the, if I'm to say anything about The Matrix, uh, similar issue I have sometimes with Nolan films is that they're overly talky in scenes that just don't need to be talky. The la- amount of philosophical mumbo jumbo that's being spouted every other scene is even in the first one can get kind of irritating sometimes it's just the the set pieces that follow and the, some of the wonderful character moments are just they they make up for that and then some so i sort of forget about them whereas in the other ones it just feels like the forefront of the movie yeah so yeah it's part of the reason why those movies were so difficult for me but this one they they struck a much better balance yeah you know? for sure so there's the iconic scene bullet time yep that's how it was described in the script <laughs> i'll read the excerpt from the script <laughs> Um, Jones's gun booms as we enter the liquid phase of dot 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 bullet time. <laughs> the air sizzles with wads of lead like angry flies as Neo twists, bends, and ducks just between them. Neo bent impossibly back, one hand on the ground as a spiraling gray ball shears open his shoulder. Yep. And that's the entire excerpt from the script. That's awesome. So they go to the special effects coordinators and they're like, how the hell are we going to do this? I know exactly how they did it. Yeah. So here's, I love this little excerpt. So essentially the look, this is like a very influential shot, not only an iconic shot for the movie, but a lot of filmmakers have since borrowed this from the Wachowskis here. Oh God. I mean, this movie like, like brought slow-mo into a, into a, like a, the, essentially the 21st century. Right. Uh, to, to the point where, I mean, it, we're sort of still using it today. Right. Honestly. So they, they do slow-mo on the action, but the camera moves in real time. Yes. So like, you, well, the, not exactly. No. The, the, the way they're doing it is that they have uh, Keanu on a green screen soundstage and he's doing the real time action. He's hooked up to wires and whatnot. They got wind blowing to, to make his cape fly and everything. Right. But they have 
they have cameras uh, in like a 360 around him in the motion that the it's supposed to move. So they are taking individual shots of right. of him as he's moving around. Right. But it's not like a singular camera movement. No, I get it. No, but that but that's supposed to be the effect though. Yes. Is that you as the audience is like the eye of God. Yes. You can like just sort of hover around. It's what they do with Quicksilver in the new X-Men movies. Yeah. Is is Quicksilver uh it runs so fast that the that the world slows down around him. Mm-hmm. So he's moving at normal speed but everything else is moving slower. It's, so, so that's what the camera does. Yes. The camera can explore every part of Keanu's body and move faster than the actual action yes. of the scene. Precisely. So here's what they were going to do. So obviously they did it on the sound stage and they ended up spending $750,000 on that shot alone. <laughs> Jesus Christ. On that one shot. 750 for 5 seconds. Okay. The Wachowskis originally had a rig where they were going to attach a rocket to a camera, to a slow-mo camera. So they were going <laughs> to film the thing in slow-mo, but they were going to like uh here's let me just read the excerpt. Uh <laughs> Oh my god, that's I'm all, I'm hearing this What sound. the Wachowskis wanted, Lana said, was for the visuals to push at the boundaries of reality, but the realities of filmmaking pushed back on them. The siblings initially toyed with the idea of putting a slow motion camera on a high speed rocket like <laughs> device, an idea that was nixed for various reasons of safety and practicality. No shit. <laughs> Instead, that, that's some Neil Breen shit. <laughs> Instead, bullet time would have to be created with digital effects, which in recent years had allowed filmmakers to not only mint new cre- creatures and galaxies, but to also refurbish the world we already knew. So um, that yeah. entire sequence, uh, aside from Keanu, everything surrounding him is all CGI, very effectively CGI. Yeah, excellently done. Yeah, um, it's just a brilliant idea for a movie. It's just brilliantly executed visually. It's just stunning. Um, the the fight sequences are awesome. It's a homage to old kung fu movies in many ways. Yes, um, which I know you appreciate. Oh my god, yeah, quite dearly. This is one of the if it's the best uh, live action anime film ever made. Oh, and well it's not put. even based off of an anime. <laughs> well put. So yeah, I like that. So it's the Matrix, and it's great. And what else is there to say? Nothing. It's a yes. It's there's still reference today. I mean, still every like you said, everybody knows it. I mean, it's kind of there forever. It's it lives in cinema forever. Red it's pill, great. blue pill. Yes, of course. Never gonna forget it. It's the Matrix. What do you want? All right, final film. Yay, we made it. Take us there, Adam Hall. Fight Club. Don't talk about Fight Club, Nico. We're already breaking. We're already rules. breaking the first Fucking rule. Hell what yeah. a hacky joke! Yeah. What a hacky podcast joke! That's great. We are those guys. Yeah, we are. We, we are that podcast. Yeah, we got to tip, tip, dip our toes in there at some point. Whatever. <laughs> now we won't do it again. Uh, this directed by my boy David Fincher. Yeah, written by Jim Oles, based on the novel by Chuck Palahniuk. Nope. Try that again. Palahniuk. Nope. Pahalunik. No. Pahalunik. No. What is it? <laughs> uh, Palinol. Dude, go fuck yourself. <laughs> Chuck. Go with your soft X. Chuck. I know. It's like, what? Who puts a soft X at the end of a word? Chuck Palinol. <laughs> Dude, fuck that guy. I know. He's gay. <laughs> 
he's, it's like it's he's one of those guys where it's like you see him in an interview and he's like he's like like like, like this sort of like the way he's got this really like deep voice and he's like a badass and you know not not doesn't fit your mold as a gay man who mm-hmm. would write a movie like this well sir well maybe or maybe not i guess i i could see it i don't know <laughs> depending on its uh, its point of view on masculinity. I mean, sure. the movie is very anti-masculine in many ways, but it's also deeply masculine in its subject matter. Yes. So I guess that kind of does make sense. Starring Brad Pitt, Edward Norton, mm-hmm. Meatloaf, Helen Bottom Carter. Yep. You know, Fight Club. Yeah. It's Fight Club. Yeah. Nominated for just one Academy Award. Which visual effects? Sound effects editing. Yeah. <laughs> That's all it was. What? Yeah. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> I know. I feel like it should be given a little more credit, uh, but the Academy, of, as we discussed, totally fucked things up that year. Not a beloved film when it came out. No, certainly not. And in many circles, not a beloved film today, but in other circles, it is for sure. An insomniatic office worker and a devil, uh, and a devil, a devil may care. Devil, devil may cry. A devil may care. Okay. Devil dash may dash care. I didn't know that was an adjective. Okay. Soap maker form an underground fight club that evolves into something much, much more. How much do you want to talk about in terms of plot here? We don't have to. If we <laughs> plotted this movie is a little weird and complicated. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, it goes places. It's sort of strange and satirical, and it's really funny. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, it's just wacky. It's yeah. just wacky as fuck. And I mean, again, I, I have a lot to say about this movie. But uh, yeah, as far as plot, I don't really care about the plot in this movie, if I'm being honest. Right. It, it's it's in one of those movies where it's just the story itself, or rather the storytelling is, is uh, first and foremost before this very, honestly, somewhat convoluted plot in a lot of ways. Mm. Yeah, I'm not going to spoil anything to, in case you haven't seen the movie. Yeah, there's some big ones there. Yeah, there's one big twist in particular, which has become a part of film lore. Yep. Obviously, the story of Tyler Durden. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, we won't get into that specifically. But um, I guess the first time I saw this movie, I was in high school. And I really liked it. Like, mm-hmm. I really liked it a lot. And I liked it because it, and it's actually a reason why I like a lot of David Fincher's movies. Yeah. is they play very well with 13-year-old boys. <laughs> you know? And that's kind of a slight, and it's not a slight, but mostly it's a slight. Um, just as a 14-year-old kid, I really enjoyed this darkly lit, funny, charismatic movie about like adult men punching each other. It's weird, because it, no- it has nothing to do with, with kids who are like 13 to 14 years old. Right. I think it's a coming-of-age story for people who are 30. Yeah. But it just played well for me just because it was funny and violent and cool. It was just cool Yeah, looking. oh God, yeah. And Brad Pitt is so cool in this movie. And the yeah. twist was cool. I was like, whoa, what an interesting transgressive movie. I know. And then the older I got, the more I realized that my love of this movie when I was 13 was exactly what the movie was satirizing. I was playing right into the hand of David Fincher. Mm-hmm. And so as I got older, that movie... Uh, 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 really soured in my mind. I really soured on it. And I'm like, ugh. 
This is just your standard Hollywood commentary on masculinity, and it thinks it's so much cooler than it actually I is. Would, I, see, I wouldn't call it like uh, standard well, in okay, any, any way, no, shape, or form. It's just very on the nose and obvious, and the imagery is over the top, and the performances and everything, and it's just like, all right, I get it. And, it's, and so I hated it for the very same reason. And I also saw a lot of people, particularly that I went to college with, that loved this movie. And I was in a dorm room where there was a poster for Fight Club. It was everywhere. You weren't the only one, man. It's on every dorm room wall. <sighs> and that really annoyed me because I'm like, guys, you don't get it. This movie is making fun of you. Yeah. This movie hates you. The movie does not like you. The movie has no. a lot of negative things to say about you. Oh, I think this is one of the most misunderstood films ever made. Right. Which is why I actually think it's it might be a little smarter than you're giving it credit but for. Now I, but yeah. see, now I've entered a third phase okay. with Fight Club, which is every time I watch it, I see something new to appreciate. And um, it's such a smart, nuanced, interesting movie yes. that is horribly misunderstood, as yeah. you just oh said. Um, and those that criticize it, criticize it because they don't get the themes mm -hmm. and those that love it also love don't. it because they don't get the themes. So it's this weird movie that cannot possibly be loved by anyone. Yes. It is well, <laughs> it is too critical of men to be loved by men, but also not critical enough of men to be loved by women. So nobody likes it. <laughs> no, no, people this is, uh, people love this movie. Some people do. I've every, in some circles. Yeah, I I know way too many people who I actually uh, I, I know so many people who love this film that I, I actually get into arguments with people because I have to say that as much as I love Fight Club and I fucking love Fight Club, it's not David Fincher's best film. Right. And people hate me for even insinuating that. People sit, claim I'm like, they're, you're, it's, 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 too, it's the most dynamic of his films. It, it has the most to say, maybe, and it's, it's got some of the best performances. And I'm like... No, <laughs> like I, 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 and I love this film to death, but I mean, I think you're ignoring at least three other films that are, are just that much better. Yeah, it's, I agree with you. I don't think it's even in the top three. Uh, it's in his top five. It's not. Yeah, well, he's only made like 10. Yeah, I know. Well, yeah, that's enough. No, I, I would put seven social network and Zodiac above yeah, so this movie I, so by I. a mile and a half. Yes. Yeah. I, but I, I was going to say, I think they're like, at, at this point in my life, I wouldn't say they're like like significantly better, but they're definitely better, like objectively for me now as I've grown older. Yeah. But uh, I can't really deny that like just going back to watch this film is always a kind of a blast. And I don't do it that often mm -hmm. because it's not it's not the cleanest watch, if that makes sense. It's the kind of movie where you watch it and you just feel very, very dirty after you've seen it and you need to like stop and reflect on it. You need to shower, that kind of thing. Yep. And uh it's 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 very cynical, incredibly even, cynical. Even by my standards, it's cynical. Yeah, it's it's definitely the film that Fincher was born to make. It's the one that he, even he says it's the one that he was born to make, and yeah, I'm like, yeah, makes I sense. Can see it. Yeah, it's sort of oddly like like it's it's sexual in a very like 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 disturbing and gross kind of way. Oh, it's too. homoerotic oh, in many God. ways. It's, oh yeah, it just touches on a lot of strange themes that are sort of quietly interwoven into American culture that you don't want to talk about. And I think that's maybe why it was so oddly handled by the audiences who saw it is because I don't think they necessarily wanted to talk about those taboos. Mm -hmm. uh, but one of my favorite things about the film ultimately is what it has to say about, um, uh, I guess, where you fall on on, on the spectrum of um, 
it's the best way to put this like organized life versus disorganization like chaos versus order right and making a commentary and basically saying that both of those viewpoints are equally flawed sure which is one of the things that i i've i've grown to love more than anything about this film because a lot of people will talk about the the masculinity and ha- and the the commentary on that or a lot of people will talk about the commentary on just uh uh like 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 office life and shit like that and 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 what it means to to live your life that way and whatnot, or materialism is another big thing. But a I, lot of material. Oh my god! A lot of commentary about American consumership. God, oh my! It's just, it's, it's it's pervasive throughout the film. Yeah. <laughs> but I remember walking away from it and being like, I really, really love how it says like both of those sides are equally flawed, and they even share a lot of the similarities. Mm-hmm. And in the sense that the whole point of a Fight Club is to separate yourself from that and be your own person, be as free as you could possibly be. But <laughs> the, the the trick to that is that they end up being more more like pawns than they ever had before. Yes, they did to the point where they don't even have names. However, they operate in that chaos. Yes, through a set of rules. Yes, precisely. Which is th- this fascinating dichotomy. I it's know. like this is where you come to let out all your unchecked aggression. Yep. and to just beat the shit out of somebody else. <laughs> yep, but. Here's some rules you got to follow. So even when you're breaking the rules, yep. you're still following some other rules. I know. So it's this interesting idea. You're right. It's sort of like that Bob Dylan song. You can serve uh, God. You can serve the devil. You just got to serve somebody. Yep. It's like you're always Sir, yeah. you're always serving a higher power, whether that higher power is your own selfish urges, um, your boss, your wife, your parents, like. There's always someone you're answering to. Oh God, yeah. Uh, but I love that idea—the fact that it doesn't like as 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 good as this stuff may be on the surface. It's not nearly as promising. It's always a too good to be true thing. It's like the definition of a cult film, right? In that way, and a lot of people, myself included, can take that and and look at it as a commentary on like capitalism and and communism. Sure. And again, saying how both sides are kind of equally flawed in their oh, own ways. Oh, interesting. Yeah, for and I, sure. I love that notion. And the, the, Fincher's ultimate, uh, uh, again, very bleak way of landing on it, but saying like you, you, you really need to get all that shit out of here, find the one thing that really matters to you and just sort of go with it, right. <laughs> which is what he, happens with Marla at the very end, again, in a very strange and, and upsetting way at times. But it, it makes perfect sense to me. Mm-hmm. And I and at a certain point, I'm like, especially with me in, in the generation that we grow up in and how much we hate politics, how I want fucking nothing to do with politics. I want to just get get my, you know, put that stuff in the back of my head or just get rid of it altogether. I sort of relate to that idea of Edward Norton just kind of like forgetting about everything and starting over. Sure. It just works. That's the tremendous dichotomy in this movie. And again, it's why it's so controversial. Mm-hmm. It is at simultaneous times, totally enticing and totally repulsive. Yes. You know, it's like, like, well, again, Fincher, I want to be in this fight club. And I also acknowledge this fight club is the worst thing humanity has to offer. It, it is the bottom of the barrel. It's almost apocalyptic. It, yeah. It almost, it kind of gets there in a lot. It's the thing that frustrates me more than anything about people who read this film. And I, I recognize this the minute I watch the movie and I'm just like, oh yeah, we're not supposed to sympathize with Tyler Durden. Are we? And everyone around me is like, no, he's the fucking man. And I'm like, he's the villain. Right. He's the villain of the movie. Spoiler, but yeah. <laughs> yeah but yeah. But I think it's obvious and people yeah. like completely sympathize with him. They're like his outlook on life is something I want to listen to. I'm like to a certain extent, but <laughs> no, again, I was that way when I was 14, 15 and I saw this movie for the first time. But I grew up and I realized, "Oh yeah, this movie is making fun of me." Yeah. Um 
which I guess makes it an effective social commentary in that way. Even though I do think it's a flawed movie um, in a lot of ways, I think... It's not perfect. Yeah, it, it swings for the fences where I feel like it should just go for a double or a base hit. Um, so it's, some of it's just a little too on the nose. However, you get these incredible highs. As you said, it's, it's an incredibly dynamic movie in its mm-hmm. direction. The stuff with Meatloaf is just hysterical. Oh, I mean, this bitch tits is such a funny-ass character. <laughs> When he's crying, when they're doing the embrace at the beginning, he's he's oh sobbing into Ed Norton. And the people just don't get this movie. I'm just like... It's just so hilarious. Like, you don't get it when he's sobbing into uh, Meatloaf's tits. Right. And then he comes out and there's a smiley face on his tits. <laughs> you're, you're telling me you weren't like... You were taking this movie that seriously? <laughs> no, I get it's satire. It is a little over the top, though, in that sense. And I'm not saying, like, I would trade that moment. I love every yeah. bitch tit scene in this movie, but it's a little heavy-handed that the guy uh, uh, at the... What is that? What? Uh, it's not an AA meeting. What is that meeting? It's going for uh, people who are... Anger issues, right? No, survived testicular cancer. Oh, right. Oh, right. Oh, right. That's right, because Ed Norton, it just frequents random... Yeah. Uh, like meetings, <laughs> yeah. as as a means to feel something. Right. What a fucked up idea. That's right. I forgot about what, that. It's it's like when you actually think about how fucking crazy that actually is. But it is a little on the nose, though, that the guy that had testicular cancer and lost his balls grew a pair of boobs. Like that to me is just a little beating you over the head with a hammer in terms of its social commentary. Mm-hmm. So it's it's but, not so much that it, it's flawed. It's just that it went for the fences and didn't get the home run. It it always makes up for it though when when he tries to get his balls back by going to this fight club and what he ultimately gets from it is being shot in the back of the head. Yeah, it's 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 one of those movies that is very expressive. But again, to me, that's just film. I don't mind that at all. You, you again, another you know difference between our tastes. But sure. when, when stuff like that happens, I'm generally pretty happy with it just because I just want the movie to to you know give me that that exciting experience you're there for for spectacle not necessarily spectacle it doesn't have bigness bigness uh, you're looking for bigness i don't know yeah of course you are am i looking it doesn't i've seen again i've seen movies that are big and i and i again like i wouldn't i wouldn't call um like something like i don't know there's not there's not much of a bigness to uh like blair witch project necessarily but that works very well for me. You would rather have the volume turned up too loud than too quiet. And I think the difference is I would rather have the volume a little quieter. I don't even know if I'd go loud necessarily. I'd rather the neighbor... You'd rather the neighbors call the police. No. <laughs> to, to re- you, because you have... Because, you know... Oh, you'd rather have, your, have... Your music is too loud. I'd rather have the neighbors call... Yes, okay. I, I'd rather be like, guys, just turn the music down... We can listen to it later. Yes. It's getting late. I want to be able to hear you. <laughs> That's the difference between you and I. And I Potentially. You're okay with going over the top. I would rather you go a little more subtle. Yeah. That's okay. That doesn't mean I have an issue with subtle, though. No. And, I quite, and, I quite and, love subtle. And not that I have an issue with bigness. Of, I mean, dude, I love heat. <laughs> heat. Yeah. There's nothing subtle about heat. No. It's just in a movie like this that is attempting very explicit social commentary... I prefer that you um, 
I, I prefer that you make your point a little more quietly. I think it works though because it's so complicated, and also because people just didn't get it. <laughs> yeah, right. it's like I would, I would, I think normally I might agree with you, but I, I, it went over people's heads. It did, yeah. It went it over. Still every, does. Yeah. It still does. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know if I can dock the film for being as, as I guess, quote unquote, loud as it is. Yeah. It just, it just, it oddly works, and it's. I think it's again smarter than than people give it credit for, or maybe than you're giving it credit for, but it's smarter than. Uh, uh, I, yeah, get smart enough to avoid these audiences <laughs> to get around them. I'm with you. I'm with you. Brad Pitt, by the way, is so good in this, this movie. This is my favorite Brad Pitt performance. Wow. Maybe it's a, wow. Really? Yeah. One of my yeah. One of my favorite Ed Norton performances. Probably not my number one. I actually think he's really good in this, though. Yeah, I think he's probably a little better in American History X, but it's close. <laughs> I, I think he's perfectly cast in this role, though. Yeah, it's one of my. It's one of the. It's one of those roles where it's like, okay, yeah, this is something Edward Norton should always have played. Mm-hmm. He just fits that character much better. Do you like the ending without spoiling it? <laughs> I I didn't get the ending for the longest time. Nor did I. And again, on on repeat viewings, it started to make more sense to me, and I was like, I this. This feels this feels more and more right. It's again, like I always say, it's a very bleak idea to for you to for you to lose in that way, <laughs> but ultimately keep going forward. But uh, yeah, it's 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 a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. I love the image. Oh my god, yeah. I I adore the image of a guy with a spoiler alert with a hole in the back of his head. <laughs> well, I love the the idea w- where it's like the the only way to get rid of Tyler is to yeah, I mean the, the whole point of Tyler Durden is that he's completely trying to free, to to free you from all restrictions on life that you know everything that you thought you 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 weren't allowed to do you can go ahead and do it if you really want to and it's only when Edward Norton feels so free that he can actually shoot himself in the head does Tyler go away. That's really fucked up, right? <laughs> but it, it, but again, like on repeat viewing, and the more I sat with this, like, oh wow, I guess that actually makes perfect sense to me. Not to say that I would never do that, <laughs> but I understand why Edward Edward Norton got to that point as a character. Yeah, and uh, what he learns from that, again, it's incredibly strange and bleak. But I, I I'm on board with it. I buy it. <laughs> All right, that's Fight Club. Now we've got a decision to make. Mm-hmm. Only one of these movies will be inducted. I feel like, as much as I like my movies more, this is definitely a stacked list. Yes, yes. And I feel like if one of these movies was in the other set of movies, that uh, it would get in on that list. Yeah, but maybe. it's okay. It's fine. That this is Dems the breaks, man. Yeah, I know. That's how this game works, and uh, it got a bad draw. These movies were on the wrong side of the bracket. Ugh. So, I think. Um, I think we're okay crossing out Toy Story 2, right? Yes. Okay. And I also think that we're okay crossing out South Park, bigger, longer, and uncut. Sure. Okay. And I also think we're good with crossing out being John Malkovich. Yes. Okay. So, they're all gone. Stricken from the record. Here's how I see things. Yeah. Criteria. Impact. Blair Witch, for all intents and purposes, created a fucking genre. Yep. Or popularized a genre. It sure. is by far and away the most impactful film. Mm. Mm. I don't know. Dude, Matrix did not create a genre. Uh, it certainly had an impact on the film industry. It didn't create a genre. Yeah, but here's the problem with uh, uh, the Blair Witch's legacy now is that for all intents and purposes, it's dead. 
No, not true. Yeah, kind of. The found footage genre. No one gives a fuck about found footage anymore, especially in the realm of horror. After something like uh, Hereditary or It Comes at Night or movies of that such, a lot of the A24 ventures have come out. A lot of people are responding much more kindly to those. No one really wants something. Even even in like the ghost stories with like Annabelle, you just don't see those found footage stories being told anymore. And it kind of ended when Paranormal Activity milked it to death. So... Still had a pretty long impact, though. It had it had an impact, but it's not. I would also say that for all, it's not a, a fondly remembered I- impact. The only one that we really love is Paranormal Activity. I mean, not Paranormal uh, Blair Witch Project. Maybe Paranormal Activity, and I don't even love that movie at all. Cloverfield, I like. Yes, me too. Yeah, and then uh, and the Wreck movies are pretty good. What was that movie with the superheroes? Or like the kids got superpowers, but they ended up just wreaking havoc. Oh, Chronicle? Chronicle. That's pretty good. I like Chronicle. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I dig that movie. That one's pretty good. The book also, by the way, the uh, Brian Rafferty book, um, talks a lot about the Sundance process. Mm -hmm. And Blair Witch debuted at Sundance. And he sort of made the point, by the end of the 90s, the Weinsteins had like destroyed the independent film scene. And they destroyed the festival scene. It's like they bought Sex, Lies, and Videotape, and they bought Reservoir Dogs, and uh, by the end of the 90s, like, the formula was already in place where it's like you just, you get one name attached to this independent film, you build word of mouth buzz, and then you unveil it at Oscar season, Mm -hmm. and so by the end of the 90s, you have these very neutered, like, factory-made independent movies, like English Patient. I think Shakespeare in Love was also a Miramax movie. And so 99, when Blair Witch comes out and debuts at Sundance, it sort of rips up the whole rule book and says, actually, no, this is what independent film can look like and should look like. It is truly in the spirit of the independent movement. So I think like that's an important note, too. I think that's more important than the found footage genre. Well, there you go. So so there's another element in terms of behind the scenes is that studios were a lot more likely to give... It, it it expanded the strike zone, I guess, for independent film. Yeah. You know? That's good. So there's the argument for you. The book makes it very compellingly. Mm-hmm. Um, the Matrix is what we have next. Yeah. That is, I think, by far and away the most iconic movie and has the fondest legacy. Uh, yeah, it's... Mm, yeah, probably the most iconic. Uh, fondest legacy, I don't know. I don't know. That's that's close. I... I I honest, I, I don't know, man. It, when it, next to Fight Club, as far as like like pop culture, mm, I so don't know. it's close. You got it's you closer than you think. Rule number one: you don't talk about Fight Club. Yes, you got the soap. You got the Welcome to Fight Club is another one. Tyler Durden soap thing. Yeah, I don't think any of that is as iconic as the Bullet Time. No, I don't think any of it is as common as like the morpheus face and mm-hmm. you know the red pill blue pill stuff yeah. the whole story of the matrix is iconic yeah i know you know um the chosen one the idea of the chosen one obviously that's bob that's uh borrowed from other stuff but mm-hmm. i would say the matrix is the one that people reference the most in my day-to-day life that's not true okay I disagree. Not in my day-to-day life. As a matter of fact, I hear Fight Club like all too frequently, which is one of the things I sometimes criticize about it. I'm like, stop talking about Fight Club. And there I just went and referenced it myself. 
Well, I'm surprised we're not lining up on this. Fight Club, I would say, might be the best directed movie. And so that might be my choice for quality. Uh, it's probably my choice for quality overall. I think its highs are just that high. Yeah. Uh, I think because th- if I'm being honest, The Matrix is the one where if you stop to really think about it, it's like, yeah, I guess that's a little silly. I guess that's a little ridiculous here and there. Not all, not all, not nearly as bad as like the other films, but there's an element of it where it's like, yeah, I'm going to stop thinking about it now and just enjoy this awesome action that's in front of me. Uh, I think there's a, there's a little bit more to mine from Fight Club. Okay. So that's what we're stuck with now. But here's the other thing that but I... this stuff overlaps. I'll, yes. say, I'll say that. Like, Blair Witch, you could make an argument for that being the best movie in terms of quality. Yes, I agree. And The Matrix, you could make the argument that it's the most impactful. And Flight Club, you can make the argument that it has the fondest legacy. So, like, the stuff overlaps. Yeah, no. I, I would just say broad strokes, Blair Witch wins impact, Matrix wins legacy, Fight Club wins quality. I agree. Okay? Yeah. So what were you going to say? Uh, I will say, and uh, Fight Club is one of those movies that started out, you know, small and was received small. It wasn't loved by really anybody and grew into something, you know, far more impressive to the point where I think it sort of transcended the cult scene. That's, you know, that's to be pretty commended. The fact that this is not the kind of movie that should have been in college dorms or even memed, but it was. Is that a good thing? (laughs) You've brought this argument up, too. Is it a good thing? I don't know. It shows that people are responding to it, though. And hey, it's nice when people respond to films in that way, I guess. Uh, How do you suggest we break this tie? Ugh. Give me something. Mm. <laughs> rewatchability. No. Because <laughs> I don't even know what that one Matrix is the most rewatchable. For sure. It's definitely the one I've watched the most. It's not the one that I've watched the most. Huh. Hmm. Oh, this is tough, man. What is your choice? God. Ugh. Yeah. Uh, I fucking love Fight Club, but I fucking love The Matrix. So are we in agreement that Blair Witch should be crossed off then? Yeah, probably. Unfortunately. You sure? Yeah. There it goes. Let's do this again. <laughs> impact. Uh, impact. Probably uh, the Matrix. Quality. Fight Club. So you got to tell me which has the fonder legacy. And I hate to break it to you, bro. Mm. But as I said earlier, you know the Matrix even if you haven't seen the Matrix. I would say the same about Fight Club. It's it's that ingrained. Yeah. It's that ingrained. You know the plot of The Matrix if you haven't seen The Matrix. <laughs> yeah, I know. You know? You don't necessarily know the plot of Fight Club. No. All you know are the rules. You and you so that's know. the argument, too, of are we judging the most iconic quote or are we judging the most iconic visuals and story? Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Because if that's the case, we got to go Matrix here. Mm-hmm. You've made that argument in the past on behalf of movies. Yeah, I know. Well, that's why I'm kind of stuck. I definitely have my favorite, but... I know Fight Club's your favorite, but, but you are a David Fincher groupie, bro. Yes, I know. You are a Fincher groupie. That's correct. I don't trust your opinion when it comes to David Fincher. <laughs> Same with me and Tarantino. It's like you can't... I'm telling you, if we are judging it based on our criteria, 
the Matrix wins. And I'm not saying that yeah. Fight Club doesn't have a fond legacy. And I'm also not saying Fight Club didn't have an impact. No. But if those are the three qualities, I could also make the argument that Matrix is a better movie. Yeah, I know. That's the thing. So on all accounts, I think Matrix has an edge, even though it's a slight edge. Yeah, I know. That's I'd the give thing. it the edge. It's tough. Ugh. And it just sucks because I really don't revisit the Matrix as much as something like Fight Club. Again, I feel like I have, I've gained everything I've I've needed to gain from the Matrix. Ugh, but uh, there is there's maybe a stronger argument to be had for the Matrix. Ugh. I need an answer. Hmm. <sighs> you know, we didn't we didn't give it to Seven or Zodiac. What came out? What what else came out? In tw- I mean, it's it's. I, I don't even know if I ne- even need to ask that question. What came out in twenty ten? Because it's obviously the social networks the best. Uh, okay. You can you can you can give it to the Matrix. It's the right call. Yeah. It's the right call. Hmm. Step away from your David Fincher poster. <laughs> I have a picture your of Your shrine. <laughs> My shrine of stop David being Fincher. The teen- stop doing the teenage girl thing. My shrine of David Fincher is Gwyneth Paltrow's head. Okay. If we... Uh, <laughs> it's like if we did like the, mu- the, the music hall of fame and it's like... Every year, you pick your favorite album of the year or whatever, and I did it with my sister. Like mm-hmm. It would be Justin Bieber in One Direction every year. Yeah. And I feel like that's the same way you approach the Movie Hall of Fame when it comes to David Fincher. <laughs> when given the opportunity, you are looking for a way to get your favorite director in. Well, I mean, if we did 92, I would. I, I mean, I didn't nominate Alien 3, did I? Even though I like a version I'm, of that movie. I'm just saying, I would not bro. nominate the game to that what it, I mean 2008 was Benjamin Button I I even I love that movie but it's but it's not my pick You're just fanboying a little bit That's all I'm saying No I'm just being like You're fanboying It's Fight Club You have though, not man. made the same argument on behalf of other movies It's fucking Fight Club You kind of twisted your logic a little bit bro that's all I'm saying It's Fight Club Yeah I know it's but Fight the, Club. the okay but again the legacy of Fight Club begins and ends with that quote no, it doesn't. It is um, now for guys like you and me. That's not its legacy, but for for the masses, it is. No, it's the not. Matrix is by far a more it indelible is. movie. Yeah, sure. I you're not giving enough credit to Fight Club, though. I'm, I'm, I put it in my final two. I said it was the it was the highest quality no, no, movie but, of the but, three. But the realm, I said it was the highest quality movie of the three. But in the realm of like pop culture, I think it has a bigger impact than you're giving it credit for. I think more people are are familiar with this film than you think because I run into them too often. People who don't give a fuck about film. Dude, I think it's kind of an obvious choice. No. I hate to break it to you. I don't think it's obvious. All right. You're not happy with me. I don't know. You're not happy. You're going to wake up tomorrow. You're going to regret this decision. I know. Because we're, well, next year when we're doing uh, 2010, we can can make up for that. Will it make you happy if we retroactively put seven in the Hall of Fame? No. Okay. All right. So then we're stuck with it. Matrix, congratulations. Yeah, congrats. Okay. You bitch. (laughs) 
All right, we are over two hours. Wow. So let's get the hell out of here, shall we? That was a long one. I anticipate next week will be just as fruitful of a dialogue. <laughs> After I've watched these fucking movies. Oh, I can't wait. I have to rewatch Magnolia, as I've said. You know what? You will be so happy with me after this. Yeah. You will, because you subjected me to just three movies that are not made for me. <laughs> I just gave you just three gems, man. Yeah. No. That you're going to love. Here's what you're going to watch, gentlemen and ladies, for next week here on the podcast. My nominees for the year 1999, The Sixth Sense, The Insider, Election, Office Space, The Talented Mr. Ripley, and Magnolia. That's what we're talking about. Pretty good. It's a great list. Pretty good. Great list. Hmm. So uh, check that out. We will conclude our two-part exploration of 1999, and... uh, We'll just talk about more movies. Oh, 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 oh. I hate to make this go longer, but so, uh, give me your Rocket Man review real quick. Oh, that's right. I saw Rocket Man. Rocket Man was pretty dope. It was a lot of fun. A little sad, you know. Learned a lot about Elton John that was upsetting, you know. No one no one loved Elton John. That's all the that's pretty much all the movies about. No one loved me. <laughs> uh, but, but it's uh but it's actually a ton of fun. It's a full blown musical. Okay. And I was surprised, like, no one was telling me this before seeing the movie, but it is a musical through and through using his music, telling his life story through his music, and I think it's a brilliant way of doing so. Uh, I was actually kind of surprised by how much it worked on me. It's got a similar visual flair as Bohemian Rhapsody, but it feels more appropriate here. It's got, uh, it's it's far more edgy than Bohemian Rhapsody could ever have hoped to be. Um, and I think the performances are are pretty great as well particularly by uh, Taron Edgerton, obviously. And actually, Bryce Dallas Howard is really good. And Jamie, Jamie Bell is really awesome in it. Bryce Dallas Howard, huh? Yeah, pretty good. I hate her in everything. She's pretty good in this. Wow. She's such a bitch. Really? But she's, yeah, she's great. Yeah. Okay. Taron Edgerton is something else, though. I've, 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 I'm, I'm on the Taron Edgerton train after this. If I can distinguish him from the other three white guys in Hollywood that all have a similar <laughs> name, I'm sure I would like him, too. He's quite good. Okay. Which one is Taron Edgerton? What do you mean? He's Kingsman, Kingsman right? Yes. Okay. I don't think it's that hard. His name's Taron Edgerton. You think he looks like the other guy? <laughs> Dude, Ansel Elgort and fucking, uh, uh, who is the other guy? They got one from Rogue, uh, not Rogue One. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. Uh, Ready Player One. Yeah, that dude. Yeah. What the hell? Actually, Ty, all Ty, the, Ty Sheridan? Yes. Alden Ehrenreich, though, is another one. That's exactly the same oh. from Solo. I think those three are similar. I wouldn't say that Taron Ed, Edgerton, to me, is the one that stu- always sticks out. All right. I think he's great. Yeah, to me, they're just all a blur. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. I'll, I'll check that out. Do you wish that he had lip sunk in the movie? No, right? he's awesome. Okay. Dude can sing. Really? Re- oh, sorry, I burped. Uh, he can sing like a like a, oh my God. He's awesome. Really? He's an angel. No. <laughs> really? It's a pretty, it's a, it's weird because it's not um, full blown Elton John, but it's like in that vein, it's different enough to be his own thing so that the film can kind of separate itself from reality. It's not a full blown impression. Well, my other concern was that the movie would pull punches too. Like, what do you mean? Like, I was kind of skeptical that Elton John, like with the Freddie Mercury story, for example, even though that movie is very milquetoast, mm. the filmmakers were able to say whatever they wanted about Freddie Mercury because he was dead. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like Elton John's alive. You're, he's like signed off on this movie and it always feels like a little weird when that, I always feel like there's some, some ickiness. I guess going on there. There might be 
I wouldn't say that Elton John is a perfect human being in this movie. Does okay. a lot of questionable things. Okay. Which is always nice to see. All right. Yeah. So I really liked it. And again, as a musical, it's it's to me very effective. All right. Yeah. I will check it out for sure. I have heard that it is better than Bohemian Rhapsody by a large margin. I don't think it's like a it's it, it's it's not going to be my favorite film of the year or anything yeah. like that. But uh, it's of of all the things that are currently out, yeah, check it out. It's worth it. Did not do well at the box office though. I know. Not a lot of things I, I feel are doing all that well at the box office. Well, X Men just bombed too. Yeah, because it was awful. I guess. Are we going to see that? No. Okay. Good. We don't have to. Yeah, that, that, wow. Dark Phoenix finished in second place to The Secret Life of Pets 2. Jesus. Wow, bad times. Dude, the only thing worth seeing in the theaters right now is John Wick 3. Yeah. I'm telling you that right now. Everything else is just total garbage. Nah, see, see Godzilla if you want some monster mayhem. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. That film ain't great, but it's a lot better than people are giving it credit for. We're about to record a podcast right now about a movie yes. called Ma. <laughs> And mother. And mother. So check that out on Why Is This a Thing this week. Actually, last week, by the time you hear this, I, uh, of course, continue to do Cultured and um, The Nico Show, all of those podcasts available on the website, tmt.media or too many thoughts media.com. Give us a follow on Twitter at tmt underscore media or on Instagram at too many thoughts media. Niels. You know, I love you all so very, very much. I don't. I hate you all. Well, that's just your opinion, man. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. Let's get there. Let's get there. I want to do that year. And until next time. Whoa. Whoa.